It is Friday, November the 10th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We'll get back to sort of our normal schedule now after I was very focused on Breeders' Cup and horse racing for a few weeks. So on this episode of That's What G Said, we will have NFL Week 10 game previews with Eric. We'll go over each and every game, deep dive all of them, and get you all set up for your gambles, your fantasy DFS matchups this weekend, however you're playing, we'll get you ready to rock. Even if you're just a fan, you'll love those previews. Then moving to horse racing, Friday, Woodbine, best bets on the card. There are a couple stakes races, so I talk about those two, and I have a best bet earlier on the card, three races all together on Friday, Woodbine. Then we move to Friday and Saturday, best bets of Delmar's opening weekend with Barry Spears. He joins me. We each give out a few horses for Friday and a few for Saturday. Opening weekend at Del Mar. Then Saturday, Woodbine. They have two incredible graded stakes races. Huge fields on Saturday. There's also a mandatory payout in the Jackpot High Five, which is going to go as the final race on Saturday. So a big Saturday ahead at Woodbine. We'll get you ready for that one. And then finishing up with this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We had a lot to catch up on over the last few weeks. Chad is back. He helps us out to discuss The Crown Jewel pay-per-view last weekend from WWE, Monday Night Raw, Tuesday Night NXT, and then Wednesday Night AEW. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Cindy Carava can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing, anything you need in the world of real estate. Get to her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's dive right on into NFL Week 10. Eric joins us for game-by-game previews. Kick back and enjoy as we get you all ready for Week 10 of the NFL season. Coming up on NFL Week 10, as I kind of get back into the swing of things, I've been very horse racing focused for the last couple weeks. Eric, I talked to you a little bit last week on your show, just a little racing, but we didn't chat on Sunday mornings the last couple of weeks. We didn't chat on Wednesday last week for my podcast. We didn't chat on Friday normally. Feels like I have not talked to you in years, my friend, but uh, it, it's just been uh, about a week or so. How are things going on your end? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Got no complaints. Um, you know, it's been a oh, weird So you're saying your life is better when you don't talk to me all the time. That's what you're saying, huh? Huh? Oh, That's dude, I'm not saying that, dude. I'm just saying <laughs> Okay. Okay. I mean, if you want, we can go into the detail of my doctor's appointment where I felt like an old man. We can go into (laughs) detail of that. But, uh, and and my my son is getting ready to turn four in just a few days on the 12th. So I'm feeling a little bit older, but, uh, (laughs) we are getting ready for NFL week 10. Like always, we'll go through all the games. Eric and I are recording this on Wednesday night, so we'll be able to talk about the Thursday game. If you're in the state of Iowa, you can sign up for a DRF Sportsbook account. That's what we're going to look at right now, DRF Sportsbook, um, that website. So we'll be kind of using some of those lines as we go game by game by game. And we'll also talk a little bit uh, on a lot of our shows about parlayplay.io. It's a site that Eric and I play with. It's fantasy sports parlays you can wager on props you can actually use fantasy points scoring to wager on over or under certain totals and you can parlay those there's free contests every week eric there's different ways to play where you can kind of guess the range someone's going to have options lots of options and we have a perk if folks want to use our promo code nfl betting blitz yep great um it's a great place to play you can do fantasy points you can do the whole nine yards 
over unders, multiple sports. Yeah, it's it's it is phenomenal. I absolutely love it. Okay, Eric. As we get into NFL Week Ten, and payouts are quick too. I mean, like quick, literally, like they're right turn there. good. Yeah, quick turnarounds. All the yeah. places that we promote, we've always played first at those places. Checked them out, deposited, withdrawal, make sure everything was good, and then we know the a lot of the folks that are watching and listening to these shows would be interested in these types of places. So take advantage, use that promo code. We'll dive into the Thursday night game, which is Panthers at Bears. Before we do, just some overall thoughts. 47 different starting quarterbacks this year. 51 different players have had to play quarterback at some point, and there have been 47 different starters, which is pretty crazy because we're just halfway through the season. And if you think about some of the games that we had last week, these were some of the matchups, Eric. We had Tyson Bajant versus Derek Carr. Will Levis versus Kenny Pickett. Heineke versus Dobbs ended up being a lot of the game. Brett Ripien versus Jordan Love. Sam Howell versus Mac Jones. Clayton Toon versus Watson. Gardner Minshew versus Bryce Young. Tommy DeVito versus Aiden O'Connell. Baker Mayfield versus Stroud was actually a good game as far as good quarterback play. Zach Wilson was also in the mix. We are seeing a, a very low level of quarterbacking this year. Just a lot of young quarterbacks, a lot of backups, lots of injuries. It's just sort of like, it's like a transition couple of years for the era of quarterbacks that we know a lot of those veterans who had been around for a long time aren't around now. And, and the, the, they haven't been as many to kind of come and fill in their spots. So we're getting some bad quarterback play in a lot of places. And uh, we'll talk about the story of Josh Dobbs who comes in, doesn't even know anyone's name. They don't know his cadence. He doesn't know the playbook. The coach is having to tell him the plays through the headset and they somehow find a way to win. Um, so I think we see scoring down lots of things, but mainly it starts at the top, Eric. And we have just a lot of quarterbacks out there that are, aren't like above average or like solid quarterbacks. Yeah. There's not many franchise quarterbacks. When you kind of look about the big scheme of the NFL, what everything is doing. And honestly, I kind of feel that has a lot to do with how bad the youth program has been in America, just kind of developmentally quarterbacks, getting them to read a defense, getting them to process. And then it just also it just becomes the common sense factor. Like you can't tell me you just take Bryce's young, Bryce's young, young. Let's you don't know he's Bryce Young. OK, he walks into a room and he walks into a room standing next to C.J. Stroud. You can't tell me you'll look at Bryce Young and say, hey, that guy is going to be the top pick in the NFL. We need to remember that just because you're good in college doesn't mean you're going to be good in the NFL. I mean, it's a it's a man's league. And yeah, the, the level quarter play is just down all the way down across the board. Let's get into Panthers at the Bears. We have Bajant will be starting, and the Bears are a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game over the Panthers. The Bears actually had more total yards, uh, more yards per play, but they had five turnovers last week in the game against the Saints. They had eight penalties for 71 yards. Even with those five turnovers, they still like were close in the game and had a chance to win the game. Uh, Bajan actually played well for a lot of the early part of the game, so they have the ball with a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. He's 15 of 19 for 201 yards, two touchdowns, one interceptions, 70 yards rushing, but then two interceptions in the fourth quarter. 
both of them are just bad decisions. And then he gets another chance with two minutes left after the Saints missed a field goal. He gets strip sacked. So there were five possessions that the Bears had in the fourth quarter, all with the game tied or within one score. They had three turnovers and two three and outs. And he's thrown five interceptions over the last couple of weeks. So tough to lean on um, someone who's not necessarily supposed to be a blue chipper or a, a high quality quarterback. They, you know, are just bad at a lot of the metrics, the bears, but this Panthers team is not good either. I mean, these are honestly two of the worst teams. They might be, you know, we'll see what happens with Arizona with Kyler right now, but these are definitely on the short list of two of the worst teams in football. Young was just not good at all last week either. It's not all been his fault this year, Eric, but it's not, not been his fault, right? He's in a bad situation. CJ Stroud's been in a better situation. We talked about this before the season. We thought CJ well, would have been set up. I don't, I mean, like when you like put the Panthers playmakers, wide receivers, offensive weapons against the Texans, I think the Panthers have better weapons. I, th- I think for me, it was more of a little bit more of the offensive line. I'll give them. And I, that with the Texans were able to invest in the off season more so than the Panthers were. And I think you and I just sort of like the Texan staff more right than Frank mm-hmm. Reich and what, what the Panthers have there. So I feel like in that sense, a little bit better offensive line and a better staff to prepare him. I feel like Stroud's kind of just in a better spot there. I mean, I'll be honest. It didn't matter where Bryce Young went. He no, and strong. and that's what and that's what I was gonna say is that so I'll even give him the benefit of the doubt and say he may not be in that great of a situation, but he's making plays and decisions that he just didn't even make last year, too, right? He's not taking the progression and the steps forward, even from Alabama. And as you were pointing out, a lot of times these guys that come in from Alabama, USC had some quarterbacks like this too, where you're in a great situation, great line great receivers, great playmakers, great staff. You don't have to do a whole lot. And then when you get to the NFL, life's a lot different when you have to make the plays instead of just be the driver of that, of that amazing offense, you know? So yeah, I just, it's, it's been tough to be impressed with him. They, they only had, so think about this. They come into the game last week, they're playing the Colts and he has three bad interceptions. Stroud has one this year one interception and young had three in that game. And it's sometimes unfair to just compare the two of them, but that's what it's going to end up happening. These two guys are going to get compared to each other for their whole career because of where they were drafted. And the Panthers had one pass play over 11 yards in the game. They had one rush of 15 plus yards. This was against the Colts, Eric, the Colts had given up 37 or more points in three straight games. They're allowing 28 plus points, which was dead last in the league the Panthers end up throwing two interceptions that are pick sixes. So they ended up scoring 13 offensive points and they gave up 14 on pick sixes. Yep. Right there. I mean, it, it was a brutal way to lose a plus three bet. Just grinding that one out. Oh um, man. I look at it like this. I mean, to me, that game against the saints that the bears have spoke more about the saints and just kind of how the saints were sleepwalking through just kind of, yeah. Not really interested in it. Um, I'm still trucking along in Circa. I was talking to a couple people that actually used the Saints, and they were legitimately sweating it out. Uh, the Bears had five turnovers. Obviously, that was like a big factor in the game. But the thing that kind of stuck out to me is when you look at the Panthers game, 
it was obviously the two Bryce Young pick sixes that cost the game, but they limited the Colts offense to only 198 yards. Yep. They got less than four yards per play. I really feel this Panthers defense is very legit. It's starting to get healthy. Um, and I also just feel there's no world where Tyler Badgett should be laying three and a half and be able to win by more than a field that, that margin. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the main thing that looks out for me is like, I just have a rule where if it's two bad teams, I always take the team with points and this trend kind of backs it up a team with a 250 winning percentage that is favored when playing another team with a 250 winning percentage or less. Um, they're 41% ATS. So that means a team that's favored is covering 41% of the time. When they're a home favorite, that drops down to 39%. When, it, when they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite or more, it's 38%. I mean, this is just the rule of thumb for me. Two bad teams, I got to take the team getting points. I really don't know. Another thing is, like, the Panthers are kind of playing. How can I word this? They don't have their first-round pick. Yeah, so they know? don't have a reason they to tank. They want to get better. They want to improve. They really doesn't do anything. So. No, no. They want to get better. They want these are good. These are important reps for Young right now yeah. for the rest of this year for him. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Panthers or no play in this one. Yeah. Like I just I got the could, Panthers. Like one, one book got up to four. It wasn't when it got up to four. That's yep. That's where. I did. Yep. I think that's the way you play this thing. I would definitely not be laying this with the Bears. Uh, no way, shape, or form. We move to the Colts at the Patriots. So this one is Germany as well, right? Yep, overseas in Germany. Yep, so we have the Patriots. The Colts are a slight favorite in this game. It's on a neutral field. They're a one-and-a-half-point favorite here. In their win last week, we just talked about the Panthers. Well, the Colts gained two pick-sixes in that game. Uh, Gardner Minshew sort of struggled, and like we said, he's a backup. You you put him in there, and you kind of have expectations on him. He's not someone that you want to be your franchise quarterback. He's just not. Um, he had fumbled four times during the past three weeks, but this, this last week he was just clean. And when it's clean like that and they don't make mistakes and you end up getting a couple pick sixes, well, that's how you win a game from them. Um, so that, that's just what they need. If you're backing the Colts, if they don't get the ball away, they're okay. It, there was like a really quick stretch in the game. They go on a big drive, 15 plays, they kick a field goal. Then on their next possession, they score a touchdown and then they kick a field goal um, and they get a pick six. Boom, boom, boom. They're up 20 to three within just a few moments of game time. And that really was the game, as Eric was pointing out. And you look at a lot of the down to down, they didn't need to do much. They only had a one first half touchdown, a couple of field goals, lots of short throws. They didn't have a 20 yard gain on the day. They only had two plays of 15 yards. They really couldn't run the ball either. Taylor only had 2.6 yards per carry on 18 carries. In the second half, they punted four times. They only had four first downs on 30 yards uh, on four non-kneel downs. So yeah, not even 200 total yards on the day on 57 plays. Now you got the Patriots. I just feel like this is a point where we're talking about this Colts team, Eric, that has a win last week that probably – looks a little bit better on paper than it might have. They may have gotten a little bit lucky with those pick sixes that probably don't happen every single week. And then you have the Colts, uh, the Patriots again, who are just a little bit undervalued. They've not been good, but everybody continues to talk about how now they're two and seven. It's their worst start since 2000. 
They were just one of seven on third down in the second half. Their offense, they scored 17 points and only three in the second half last week. Final five possessions, they punted four times through an interception, and it was really close to field goal range with just about 22 seconds left to go. They gave up 430 total yards to Washington, and they let Washington convert nine of 17 on third down. It was just a bad game overall for New England. I feel like they're at a low point. Colts are at a little bit of a high point coming off of a victory last week. I'm on the Col- I'm on the Patriots side here. Yeah, I got the Patriots here at plus two. Um, I will say this: like I know there's a lot of rumors going around that the Patriots may fire, get rid of um, uh, Belichick. I just, the grass is always greener. I mean, we need to remember. Granted, people forget how much Philly struggled after they got rid of Andy Reid. It took them a while to get the right coach in the right spot. A lot of teams, man, a lot of years, a lot of coaches. Just think about teams like the Browns or situations where you keep Arizona, you keep getting these guys. And you, like you said, you better make sure you have somebody ready and picked out right now because we've seen seen a lot of those Belichick guys go and not do very well either, right? Your boy, Patricia McDaniels did not do very well. A lot of them don't have not done well as head coaches. And I mean, I'll give the Lions credit, man. Like, there was a point where the Lions could have easily got rid of Campbell and they stayed with them. They stayed with the process. 100%. It's turned out to be pretty good in terms of this game. Um, you know, one of the big trends that, you know, I look at is a team that starts off with a dog like the Colts did and becomes a favorite. They're only 34% against the number. Um, Colts had in my eyes, zero business winning that game. Taylor, 47 yards rushing. Colts, 198 yards of total offense. 413 on third down. 2.6 yards per rush. 4.4 per pass. 3.5 per play. If they lose to the Panthers, which they should have, Patriots are going to be laying three points here. Um, I just kind of feel that this there's a value spot on New England. Patriots, they've just uncharacteristically bad on special teams. There was a play where they're going to punt it with three minutes left and someone lined up offsides that led to Washington a first down running more clock out. Mac Jones actually put the ball on Juju Smith Schuster's hands. Juju dropped it, which led to the pick, which ended the game. Um, But I really think the main thing here is they ran for 5.6 yards per play on the ground and there's no, Glover Glover Cleveland, who is one of the better run stoppers still for the Colts. I think New England's going to lay on the run here. I'll take the Patriots. I got them at two. Anything like one and a half is fine. Yep, we're both on the Patriots side here. We continue on to the Browns at the Ravens. So the Ravens are the third team since the merger to beat three straight teams with a winning record by 24-plus points. They did not trail for one moment in any of the three games against the Browns, Lions, and the Seahawks. Third straight game where they've scored over 30 points. How crazy is this? Lamar is 18-1 and versus NFC teams in his career. Just a crazy stat. Their Ravens are now the number one team in DVOA. They have the number four offense, 11 pass offense, the number one rushing offense. They're the number two defense. They're number two defending the pass. They're number three defending the run. They ran for almost 300 yards, 7.3 yards per carry against Seattle. Mitchell, 
didn't have a carry all year before this game. All of a sudden, nine carries, 138 yards. He has a touchdown as well, a 40-yard touchdown, a 60-yard run. He was actually the leading rusher of the week. I know that's a bet you make to make sometimes uh, who leads mm-hmm. the league in rushing that week. That would have been a huge uh, a huge one for him if he was even on the board. They add four sacks to their league best total. They created two more turnovers. They're not really overwhelming you on the offensive skill positions, but they can run the ball. Their throw, their passing game has been more and more improved. OB, uh, OBJ had a really good game. They generated pressure on like 55% of Geno Smith's dropbacks. They've outscored their opponents by 115 points this year. No other team has outscored opponents by more than 80. They're allowing the fewest points per game in the league, second fewest yards in the league. They've held all nine of their opponents to less than 25 points this year. They've given up nine touchdowns in nine games. But on the offensive line, the left tackle, Stanley, didn't have a great game. He missed a block, led to a strip sack. Things have gone really well for this team over the last few games. And Eric, just the way that this Browns defense is and watching Watson look a little healthier last week. I'm not going to say Watson's back because it was Arizona, one of the worst defenses in the league. And maybe Watson's not going to look as good against the Ravens or others. He just did look a little healthier than he had the the few weeks before where obviously it was in his head that he wasn't right. And he didn't want to go out there and play quarterback. And now whether or not Watson's been as good as we, anyone that backed Cleveland had hoped or a Cleveland fan had would have liked, he does still give them an upside that other guys don't give them. Even if he's not consistently the guy he used to be, he can still make plays here and there that PJ and DTR and some of the other options they had, they just, they don't get from, from that. So I'm on the Brown side in here. I think this is going to be a divisional game. I think it's going to be tight. I think, you know, Baltimore's become now the consensus best team in the league. Everybody's talking about them, how they are the best football team in the league by far, what they've done the last few weeks. I think it's going to inevitably, you know, even out a little. And I think this is the week where it's probably a tight game, close one. I'm on the Brown side here, plus the six. Yeah, I say it all the time. NFL is about buying low, selling high. Teams have won by 28 points or more the previous week, such as the Ravens that are home favorites are 44% against the number. When the line is three and a half or higher, that number drops down to 41% against the number. Also, the Ravens have won four in a row, have covered four in a row. Teams that have done that and are in their fifth game are that are home favorites, 46% against the number. I know that these teams played all the way back in week four, but DTR was a quarterback and he's not an NFL quarterback. So I'm throwing the offensive production that the Browns had out the window. But I'm going to look at the Ravens production. Ravens only threw for 186 yards that game and they didn't even have 300 yards in total offense. Total offense. Their offense was put in great positions because of the DR, DTR INTs. He had three of them that led to Ravens having short field and scoring points. The Browns are the best defense in the NFL, and it's not even close. Plus 58 yards last week for Arizona, 58 total yards, forced three turnovers, seven sacks. I mean, poor Arizona was overmatched that, that game, but this defense is legit. It was actually one of the 10 best games ever from a defense based on the DVOA metrics. And um, this defense was built to stop Lamar Jackson. They have speed at the defensive end. They have speed at the linebacker position to not let a Lamar run, not let him extend plays. I think with Watson behind center and him not throwing the ball, that which leads to turnovers, I think this Browns 
team will be able to keep it close. Now, also, let's just kind of think about the Browns. I really don't feel people truly understand how good this team is. They have the ninth worst turnover differential. Before playing the Cardinals last week, they had the second worst turnover differential. They've been playing a third string quarterback who they signed off the Bears practice squad who got beat out by Tyler Badgett to be their to be their quarterback while Watson was hurt. Their best offensive lineman in Jack Conklin is out for the season. Their best offensive weapon for Nick Chubb is out for the season. And this team is five and three right in the middle of the playoff hunt. I really don't think people understand truly like how good this team is. And if Watson can just put it together, this team is going to be a play on moving forward, especially with how easy their schedule gets to end the season. Uh, Jackson is a favorite. He's only 46% against the number. Home favorite drops down to 40.6. Home favorite of three and a half or more drops down to 35.7%. He just doesn't cover as a big favorite. Now, this is also a stat. Since 2005, if you're just blindly put $100 on every single divisional dog, okay, that was on the road, you'd be up over $5,000. I think the Browns have the defense. I think they'll make stuff, things tough for the Ravens. I'll take the Browns here plus the six. Both on the Browns side there, the game from Watson, he was graded quarterback number four on the week. He had two big-time throws, and one key, his completion percentage over expectation on passes of 10-plus air yards, plus 23%. He was terrible at that coming into week nine. So just something to monitor. If he can stretch the ball down the field a little bit more, that just gives them an option that we haven't really seen for them throughout a lot of the year. Packers at the Steelers. We have the Steelers as a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game over under 39. Packers entered last week 26th, um, averaging 88.4 rushing yards per game. They ran all over the Rams. They had 184 and 4.8 yards per carry. They put the ball in Jones' hand. He had 73 yards rushing. He also had four catches for 26 yards. It's not as if the Packers looked fantastic. They had a couple penalties on fourth and short, which stopped them from extending drives. They missed a field goal, fumbled twice early in the second half. They had eight penalties. Love missed some passes. He wasn't always sharp. Did have a nice 20-yard touchdown. And in the second half, he was much better. He also had a really good uh, completion percentage over expectation. So he was 12 of 13 for 160 yards and a touchdown in the second half. And they shut the Rams out, only allowing 96 yards, did the Packers. The young players sort of stepped up for them defensively. Seventh round rookie corner played well. Rookie safety had an interception. Second year edge rusher had a big tackle for loss. So Lots of the young pieces they're going to need moving forward. They got some help from them, but I mean, they were playing against a, a Rams team that just could not move the ball at all with Rippy in a quarterback. They now play the Steelers. Pickett has thrown six touchdowns in eight games. Last week, he didn't have any turnovers. He just, they couldn't connect with the receivers early. He had a couple overthrows. There was a bad drop from Pickens. The Steelers beat the Titans. And in um, that game, Mike Tomlin's record now, Rookie quarterbacks are 1-13 against Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. You just don't win there against Tomlin. Canada. Matt Canada was calling plays from the sideline for the first time in his career. They actually got the ball and went 80 yards on 10 plays on their opening drive. It was the first opening drive touchdown for the Steelers since week 15 of last year. 
They ran the ball pretty well. They had six rushes of 10 plus yards. This game was more about some misses from the quarterback. I thought than it really was about the scheme. I don't really have too many issues with Canada in this particular game, as I did with just some of the misses and some of the drops the players had uh, had here. Defense was a little shaky to start, Eric. They had 40 yards and penalties on the opening drive for the Titans. They did lock up a little bit. Um, They had to play a quarterback making his second career start on a short week. They only allow three points in the second half, and they forced a turnover late in the game. They stopped Tennessee on all three fourth-quarter drives. They put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, 45% pressure rate. This stat I thought was uh, an, an interesting one. They're the first team in NFL history to get outgained in each of their first eight games and have a winning record. There have been 34 teams that have been outgamed in each of their first eight games. None of them besides the Steelers have ever had a, a winning record as the Steelers sit at five and three here, but this is not a normal Steelers spot, right? When you're laying more than a field goal. Normally we like to play the Steelers when they're getting some points and they're that home dog. Yeah. I mean, you know, the script here, you know, we fade Tomlin when he is a, uh, when he's a favorite, uh, Tomlin is a favorite of three or more, he is 44.7% ATS off a win as a favor. He's 39.5% ATS. I Look, I know people are going to say, what about the Steelers' defense against the Packers, namely Jordan Love? Uh, I kind of feel the team, this isn't what we're used to seeing, seeing from the Steelers' defense versus the run. Usually when Hayward is there, they have played really well. But when you just kind of look at it, they're 16th DVOA against the run when he's when he's been playing, allowing 131.1 yards per game on the ground per teamrankings.com, which is the fourth worst in the league during that time frame. I think that LaFleur is going to start is starting to figure out that, hey, I have Aaron Jones. If I give it to Aaron Jones, good things happen. I expect the pack the Packers to lean on Jones and Dylan, cover the three and a half. LaFleur 67% AT. As also trivia question, there has been one team that has been outgained in every single game this season. Tend to guess who it is. That was the Steelers. The Steelers. Yep. Outgained. Yeah. And, and they were the first. Steelers. Yeah. They're the first one that's ever had a winning record through the eight games after the getting the getting outgained in each one. Cause that just doesn't happen. You're not going to be winning games when you're getting outgained every single time. So Tomlin finds a way to win all these close games. They figure it out, but not a spot like this where you're getting margin. So Eric and I both kind of leaning on the Packers. Eric already got that one down as uh, we move to the next game. I locked this one in Eric and it's already moved in a positive direction for me. I played Texans plus the seven in here. Both of these teams are a little buzzy coming off of last week, but the Bengals in particular over the last few weeks now, everyone's just sort of kind of penciled them back in as a Super Bowl contender. And they've looked good. They had 21 points and 214 total yards in the first half last week against the Bills. And then they were able to coast. Burrow torched the Niners a couple of weeks ago. He was 28 of 32 with three touchdowns. Against Buffalo, he goes for 348 yards and two touchdowns. And it could have been more because Chase and Higgins both dropped what should have been touchdowns on really nice passes. Couldn't really connect with Chase, so he connected uh, with seven different receivers that had at least three catches. They got the tight ends involved. They combined three different tight ends, 10 catches, 101 yards, and two touchdowns. The defense is now starting to get a little bit better, too. They, they're they well-coached, so they just make some adjustments, Eric. Sometimes they don't look fantastic on some of the metrics, 
Like they were 27th in yards allowed coming into week nine, but now they're number 11 in defensive DVOA. They're number 10 against the pass. They make adjustments. They make big plays. They make stops throughout the games when they need against Buffalo. There were four straight possessions when the bills didn't run more than five plays. And the first three of those possessions, the bills got zero yards and they've now allowed 20 points or less in four straight games. They actually allowed 20 points against Arizona and then gave up less to Seattle, San Francisco, and Buffalo that all scored 18 or less. They blitzed on only 7% of dropbacks, which was their second lowest in a game over the last six years, and they were still able to get pressure. And Burrow is leading the league in all of these categories since week five. They're 4-0. He has a 75.8 completion percentage, 10 passing touchdowns, and a passer rating of 111.2. All positives, all great. I think because of that, they're just a little overvalued in this game. And what I at least like about the Texans and what I locked them in at plus the seven, they can score. We've seen them be able to go up and down. Stroud just finishes with 470 yards, five touchdowns, created quarterback number two on the week, only behind Joe Burrow. Um, Just incredible. I mean, he had 22 passing first downs in that game. They had 364 total yards in the second half alone. And three different receivers, Dell, Schultz, and Brown, all had 100 yards. It was the first time in franchise history that has happened. And this team is 4-4 four and four after going 3-13-1 last year. So coaching staff's done a fantastic job. They were down 10 in the second quarter. Looked like they were going to probably lose this game. They go on a nice scoring drive. Then their kicker gets hurt. They had to have a running back kick a 29-yard field goal, Eric, with less than nine minutes to go in the game. First time since 2004, a non-kicker or punter hits a field goal. And this was a fun game with the Texans and the uh, the Bucks. There was six different lead changes and a couple in the final moment. But I think with the number at seven, that was where I locked in the Texans. I, I you know, I'm not necessarily going to line up and bet it here, but I, I think they've got enough of an offense that they can – stay close in this game and they can be ripe for uh for some backdoor yeah i really didn't know what to do with this game like i'm i look at a lot of situational stuff and a lot of the trends a lot of what people do home in a way um look you know the Bengals, just a big win over the bills they play the texans now they have the ravens on deck perfect situational spot to fade them flip side that Texans Bucks game was wild. It was crazy. I mean, look, I know one of the terms that gets thrown around a lot that's really starting to agitate me is like bad beat. I mean, it's it's like anytime someone loses a bet, loses a bet right now, it's a bad beat. Whoever lost that game, I mean, you could argue is a bad beat just because everything kind of got skewed as soon as the kicker went out because the Texans were going for stuff they wouldn't normally be going for stuff. They couldn't kick stuff when they normally, you know what I mean? So it was just a weird, funky game. Um, but the thing that really stood out to me is I I kind of centraled in on CJ Stroud, Stroud splits home and on the road. When he's at home, he averages 339 yards per game, 9.3 yards per pass completion. He has 11 touchdowns and he has a 113 quarterback ranking. But then I looked at what he's done on the road. That dips down to 227.8 yards per game, only 6.8 yards per pass completion, only has three TDs on the road, and his QB ranking drops down to 90.8. Doesn't really seem to play well away from 
away from the place. Um, Chase banged up. We don't even know. He didn't practice today. T. Higgins didn't practice today. Texans 26 DVOA defending the pass. So obviously, you know, Chase and Higgins not being there is going to help because that de facto makes Tyler Boyd their number one. I don't know. There's just – I can make arguments about, about both teams here. Just So just because of that, I'm just going to kind of stay away from it. You know, and also it's under – this number opened up at seven and a half, eight. You know, kind of you missed the value right now sitting at six and a half. Yep, I was – just going to say, if you didn't get it before and you like the Texans, you should wait now because seven was the the point where I was going to uh, I was going to jump in and nothing nothing less than that one. We get two Saints at the Vikings, so the Saints are a two and a half point favorite on the road in this game. They come off a game where they didn't really do much. They had three hundred total yards, four point nine yards per play, only eighteen first downs. They benefited from five turnovers. And it was actually the first time since week five where they didn't turn the ball over. They also only committed one penalty. They didn't allow a sack and they got Taysom Hill involved. They were able to make some adjustments later in the game. You know, the bears had 250 yards and 14 points in the first half and new Orleans only scored 24 largely because of a, like a weird fourth and inches sneak a missed field goal and a passing game. that's just not been exciting. Then on the Viking side, Jaron Hall starts. He gets hit really hard. He has to come out of the game. And then the legend of Josh Dobbs begins. This guy immediately looks terrible. He gets strip sacked. He gets sacked for a safety. He gives up five points right away to Atlanta. Then he fumbles again on the first drive in the second half. Following that up, he starts making some huge plays. Ends up leading the team in rushing with 66 yards rushing on on seven carries. This is his fifth different team his sixth different transaction in one calendar year. And the guy's a rocket scientist. So he's like an actual genius. He can process information incredibly quick. There are these stories that the coach has been telling from the Vikings. He's actually having to explain the plays to him over the headset right before he's about to go run the play. And it's pretty crazy to me that he doesn't have like when watching the film back, there is no, there's not a bunch of like errant throws either where him and the receiver just were off base. He may fumble the ball a few times, but he didn't have a bunch of those where it's like, Oh, the receiver goes left and he goes right. It was almost like you get reminded of what's going to happen right before that. You're almost a little sharper. Oh, Hey, this guy's going to run a, a 20 yard post or whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever the play is. And he gets it like the spoon fed to him, but just incredible. The the shots of him on the sideline, he'd never taken a snap with the, with the center. So he'd never had an exchange with the center before. And the guys on the Vikings didn't know his voice. They didn't know his cadences when he was going to call plays. So they're all just standing around on the sidelines while they're getting used to his voice. And he's talking to the center and the center's doing the exchange with him. It was like something out of the replacements, you know, to make a movie, you know, that it, it didn't even seem real. And if you're Arthur Smith and you lose that game, I mean, that was, that's just bad. Nonetheless, the Vikings like are now five and four and he helps lead this team to score 31 points. And he was part of three touchdowns himself. And now they're a home dog in here. 
I mean, I don't know. I just, I can't lay points right now with the Saints on the road, Eric. Even in a situation like this, the, the Vikings have been like a little feisty this year. And I just have not been impressed with the Saints. To me, this is a Vikings or nothing. Yeah, this is a nothing for me. I mean, like, if this would get down to like a pick, maybe I'd play like the Saints on the money line, but I'm not a big proponent of laying points on the on the road. If it's a money line pick, then I'll do it. Dobbs in his career, he has 10 starts. He's one, he's one and um, excuse me, one and nine straight up. Uh, you know, you look at Allen on the other side, 38.3% ATS is a on the road, 26.3% ATS as a favorite. Look, Dobbs played well, but you know, I really think there is a key point in that game where the Falcons kind of had a chance to step on their throats and make it a pretty big lead. They had the ball. Um it was first and five at the Falcons five yard line um, pass to Johnu Smith in the flat, got down to the one second and one from the one. Do you give it to B. John Robinson? No. Do you give it to Tyler Algier? No. You run a handoff play for Johnu Smith. I know. It's just, I've been so disappointed with Arthur Smith this year, man. So disappointed. I mean, if they score that three there, that game in my eyes, that was it's the over. game. Right there. It's over. It's I mean, like, there's just insurmountable. The floodgates open once Dobbs went in. One thing, though, that Dobbs has done historically is he does target the tight end. You can probably look. You should use TJ Hawkinson here in pretty much every single DFS lineup. That's one thing that he's done. Um, I know everything's being made about how smart he is, how he's a rocket scientist. However, he's he does the same thing every time. He goes back. And he runs to his right. He becomes, like, he's very, yeah, you know what he's going to do. Very, yeah, he does the same thing. I mean, the routes will be different and everything. So, look, I, I'll um, I'll set this one out. I'll play Hawk and some DFS stuff. But other than that, there's nothing for me here. Yeah, I would need the plus three to get, to jump in on the Vikings for me. If it was three, I, I would go Vikings. Otherwise, I'd kind of steer clear, like I said. I definitely am not laying it with the Saints on the road. We have a couple teams coming off a bye, 49ers and the Jags. 49ers on the road here coming off of, what, three straight losses for them now? And uh, they are a three-point favorite at Jacksonville. Eric, with these two teams coming off the bye, these are two teams that you and I coming into the year and sort of all year haven't been as high on as everyone else. In this situation, are you just taking like the home dog because of that, you're getting a field goal with the home dog. Both of these teams, you do, you weren't quite as high on. Or are you specifically, you know, is there specific handicaps you have about this game? Dive into 49ers, Jags. Um, neither of these coaches historically are good off the bye. Um, I know the D, DVOA has the Jags high, but with the pass funnel system that they run, you they run you they can be run on. So. I really think the 49ers have the potential to move the ball, but we don't know. Trent Williams didn't practice today. Debo is out there. And the one thing that has been shown this year is for this 49ers offense to click, they need all those weapons. Purdy has a concussion. He didn't look right that last game he played. I was a little shocked he was able to play. I know that was pretty a quick turnaround. What is he? How is he going to look here? Is he going to look okay? Because I really don't like this Jags defense. Like I said, I know DVOA has him high, but I think they can give up some weapons. Um, when the Saint, when the Jags played the Saints, 
they only had 29 yards of total offense in the second half. And then there was that broken play to Kirk, which is a false start that shouldn't have counted. But the, of course, the false start wasn't called. Are they going to be able to move this, um, move the ball against this 49ers defense, which now is Chase Young, which now is Bosa, which now is Armstead, which now has, um, Randy Gregory, you know what I mean? Like, are they going to be able to move the ball as the Jays offensive line, which has struggled this season, going to be able to be able to protect against those vaunted pass rushers. Also, Lawrence hasn't looked good this year. I know it's a little distorted because everyone looks at their record, but when you look at the numbers, he has not looked good. He has not looked like this generational Andrew Luck type talent that was going to transcend the game. This is a game I literally want nothing to do with like I'm literally going to have no DFS players. I it probably won't even make the screen for me in my house right now. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm it's not crazy. I'm I'm not playing it with the 49ers. I would be more on the Jag side, but this is not one of my plays uh, either here. As we get to Titans and the Bucks, this one's basically a pick'em here. Tennessee at Tampa. Tampa has four consecutive losses. The offense was very good in Houston last week, but the defense allows 496 yards and 39 points, including a game-winning drive of 75 yards in 40 seconds. It's like every week for the last month for them, one side of the ball they've been good or one of their units has been good and the other's been bad. They just haven't been able to sort of figure it out because there have been games where Baker and their offense looks good and then their defense lets them down. Then a couple of the games where their offense has struggled, their defense has played really well. Uh, They were able to get White more involved last week. 20 carries, 73 yards. He also had four catches for 46 yards. At halftime, he had 43% of their total yards. But, you know, they they probably aren't feeling great about where they are right now after the good start to the season. Now, on the flip side, you have the Titans. I think Will Levis has played pretty well in his couple games so far. And just the level of quarterback play the Titans were getting – from Tannehill wasn't fantastic, and from anything other than Tannehill, it wasn't good at all. And at least he can throw the ball down the field. He's played six pretty good quarters of football. Uh, struggled late against a good defense in a tough place to play in Pittsburgh. They still only lost the game by four. And and when you watch the game, they it, he struggled in spots that made sense. Like the red zone, they were only one of four. On third down, they were three of 13 as a team. This team's banged up, though. They're already, obviously, without their starting quarterback. They lost wide receiver Burks. It was carted off the field. Right tackle banged up. His replacement left the game. Rookie left guard got banged up. Then the left tackle missed a few plays. His leg got rolled up on. They had one starting offensive lineman play every snap in the game. Even a cornerback, Murphy Bunting, left with injury in the first quarter. So this one, to me, was one of the stay-away games, Eric, where I just didn't really have a strong opinion. Yeah, I mean, Vrabel, 10-1 coming off, 10-1 ATS coming off extended rest, which is 10 days or more. Vrabel as a dog is 60% ATS. But when he's getting 2.5 points or less as a dog, he's 40% ATS. And this is the one that kind of stuck, stuck out to me. When it's two or less, he has never covered a game. He has never covered a game when he's getting two Two uh two points. Titans 24th DVOA defending the pass, 30th DVOA defending wide receiver ones. Look, Deontay Johnson, seven for 90. Last game, Mike Evans, 82 yards last week against the Texans. He had 60 yards called back on penalties. 
which is absolutely absurd. He could have had 140 yards. To me, this game, as you play Mike Evans props, his his receiving yards will probably be in the low 60s, 62, 63. Play Mike Evans over just because Baker goes to him. Titans can't defend the pass. That's the only thing I want to do in this game. We get to Falcons at the Cardinals. Falcons are a slight favorite on the road in this game. Looks like Kyler Murray will be coming back. Good thing because the Arizona Cardinals had 58 total yards last week. Clayton Toon was under pressure 17 times. He was one for seven for one yard when under pressure. He was sacked seven times, pressured on 56% of his dropbacks, and only 12 of those were actual blitzes. About half of the plays went for zero or negative yards you're one of 12 on third down and it was a third and one when they were down by 27 where they actually picked it up they had three turnovers in that game over the last six weeks they've lost by double digits five times and they're hoping to get kyler murray back so they were one and eight and they had started more quarterbacks than they had wins with without kyler murray um they end up getting rid of dobbs and they let Dobbs go to Minnesota. This is basically like, do we want to bring Kyler Murray back? They're going to see what what it's going to be like for him for the, the next part of the year. But he hasn't played in a while. It's not as if this team is good, Eric. Uh, I, I really don't know what to do here with, with this spot. This one's sort of weird. Especially because on the flip side, God, it feels like Arthur Smith is done. Or he doesn't have much left over there with how... He's just, things aren't going well for him and he's not sounding good at the press conferences. Like he's sounding like he's frustrated. Yeah, yeah like, I guess he had a five minute explanation on the podium today about why today, it's um, just, he's getting so too cute. You know what I mean? Like he's like, it's, it's like he thinks there's a rivalry with him and the reporters who people are just asking him, why aren't you giving your playmakers your, your, and, it's, it's a separate conversation, right? You said this as a Lions fan. Man, I wish they wouldn't have spent that high of capital on Gibbs. I wish they would have gone and gotten a defensive lineman, yeah. someone on the edge, right? Yeah. But but because they did, you, you hope at least in some spots they're going to try to use Gibbs. There have been games when they needed Gibbs and they got him more involved. It's like he's stubborn about not wanting to use Bijan and Pitts and those guys. Yeah, Matt... Matthew Barry tweeted this out. Bijan has 25 touches in his last three games, two or fewer receptions and three straight. Algier has out-touched Bijan 26 to 12 in the red zone this year, which is inexcusable in my eyes. I went on this whole rant on my live stream Tuesday night, how he needs to go. They're four and five. They should be seven and two at worst six and three. Absolutely. You the window to win in the NFL is so small, and the NFC right now is insanely open. The 49ers they're banged up. Trent Williams, Debo, Brock Purdy. They're I know they made some great additions on the defensive side of the ball, but their best wide receiver in Debo, their starting quarterback, and their best offensive lineman are all banged up. Hertz has something going on with his knees, his knee. So there's an opportunity there for a wild card team to come out of the NFC and make a run. And he's absolutely blowing it. I don't understand this Johnny Smith. Why are we giving the ball to Johnny Smith? I don't understand that going to Kyle Pitts more. It's just like a I mean, stubborn thing. He, he's like one of those. 
You're supposed like, to be this. He's like a moneyball coach, right? Supposed, yeah, he's like a guy who does well with nothing, but then you give him actual playmakers, and he doesn't know what to do with them. And I mean, you're supposed to. You're supposed to be this offensive genius. Where is the development of Ritter? You know what I mean? There's no development. There is no player development. We give the Bears staff shit with what they did with Fields and Trubisky. No development from Ritter. Nice. Tyler Heineke, he ain't it. You should have came up with a better backup plan than Tyler Heineke. They're just letting this slip away. In terms of this game, look, we don't know how rusty Kyler Murray is going to be, but we've seen it with Deshaun Watson when he came back or other quarterbacks from extended rest. They don't look sharp that first game back. What are we going to see from Kyler Murray? They also designated James Conner to come back. This offense was pretty good for the Cards until Conner got hurt. When Conner got hurt, it started to go downhill. What is the mental motivation for the Falcons? Is this going to be like the Raiders team that just hates their coach that hated being for them playing for him. As soon as he left, they started playing better. Um, card defense has been putrid. Are they going to be able to get stops? I mean, we, you know, we just ripped Arthur Smith, but if the cards can't get any stops, because their defense is so poor. Is it really going to matter? Uh, Falcons, they do struggle against mobile quarterbacks. They struggled against Sam Howell. They struggled against Josh Dobbs. If Kyler's out there running, are they going to be able to keep him in contain, keep him in the pocket? PFF is all over the Falcons in the trenches. They say the Falcons have an insane advantage. Offensive run blocking, offensive pass blocking. I really want nothing to do with this game, though. You know, honestly, I literally want nothing to do Me too. At Me too. Game. I, I agree. Stay away from me. This one's a stay away as we move to your Lions and the Chargers. Lions are a three point favorite on the road against the Chargers. Charger Lions coming off a bye, and the Chargers come off a win where they only had 191 yards of total offense. They scored two rushing touchdowns at the goal line. And other than that, they didn't really move the ball on the ground. Uh, Keenan Allen avoided Scardner for a lot of the night, he was in the slot. Um, they were all over Zach Wilson. Chargers had eight sacks. So their defense actually looked a lot better. They had three fumbles, and now they're four and four. And what was nice is that it was a little bit of the Staley stuff, right? It was um, some defensive adjustments that we saw. He paired Mack with another edge rusher, uh, Tui Pelotu from USC. And now USC's rookie was much, much more impactful here. Just sort of the way that he set things up. Um, they had one-on-one blocking scenarios that were just a little bit better. Uh, Sebastian Joseph day. You could just see Staley doing some things defensively that made sense. And that worked out well. So I took positive out of that, but I, this one to me is like a Chargers plus the field goal or nothing. I, I'm probably staying away, though. I just do not have the strongest opinion in the world. I expect the Lions to play well in here coming off the bye, but it still does feel weird to see the Lions favored by a field goal-ish on the road against a team like the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, this is a Chargers spot to me. This line keeps on going up. I'm hoping to get a three and a half look. I know the lions, this is probably going to be the most healthiest they've been in a while. They're getting Jonah Jackson, Frank Rauno, their offensive center is looks like he's going to be a go. 
David Montgomery, which is absolutely huge to their running game, is supposed to be back. Shockingly, um, Staley, 64% ATS as a fade, as a favor, as a dog, excuse me. Um, but one thing we need to keep imagining, I know, look, everyone's hyping the Lions, but who have they really played? I mean, they play, they beat the Chiefs week one. What can you really take away from that? You know, because that was the first game. Chiefs are getting their rings. Um, so you can't really put, in my eyes, too much stock in that game because the Chiefs have changed dramatically to what they were there and to what they are now. Um, the two highest teams that they've played DVOA-wise were the Seahawks, who are 16th. They lost to them at home. And then they got boat raced by the Ravens. So I really feel that the Chargers are a little bit more battle-tested. They have gone toe-to-toe with the Dolphins, the Chiefs, you know, Jets defense, you know, 196. Jets defense is good. They, you know, but they did enough to win that game. Uh, you met the adjustment that they made with Mac Mac on the um on the defensive line. I want to take the Chargers here. I just I just needed to get to three and a half. Important to remember, Lions do struggle covering the slot. That's where Keenan Allen runs over 70% of his routes. Um, I expect a huge game from them, a little bit of a bounce back from Herbert, even though he didn't look too hot. And if the Chargers, you know, we always kind of look for teams that can kind of like, quote unquote, make a run if they get through a hiccup of their schedule. This is kind of the hiccup part of the Chargers schedule. I kind of feel if they can get through this game, this could be the kind of game they could kind of make a run. Because, I mean, they got this game, then they have the Packers, then they have the Ravens, and then after that, it's the Patriots, Broncos, Raiders you know, the Bills and the Broncos and then the Chiefs. So they have some winnable games. If they can get through this game, I think they're going to be in good shape to kind of make the playoffs just because I think this is a winnable game for them. Yeah, I'm on the Chargers side too. Uh, we'll see if you can get the, a little bit better number if we can get this up to three and a half. I know you're laying 16 and a half with the Cowboys here against uh, Tommy DeVito and the Giants. So Dallas coming off of another Dallas type game where every time they play a really good opponent and you need to see from Dallas, if they are, you know, able to step up to the next level, they prove they're not, they had a first and goal on the six yard line. They go full start. Then they have a bad sack and then they throw a rushed incomplete pass and a delay of game. And they had seven more first downs in the game. They had 110 more total yards, more yards per play. They ran more total plays. They went three of five in the red zone. The Eagles went three of three. They also missed on a two-point conversion where Dak steps out of bounds. So that would have put them in position to only need a field goal late instead of needing a touchdown. It's like all these little things. And, right? Just the difference in knowing that you don't have to go all the way down and kick a, and, and score a touchdown there. How how crazy is they had three scoreless drives that ended inside the Philly 30 yard line, got Mm -hmm. zero points out of three different drives. I heard this stat before the the Eagles game, because this happened in the Eagles game. The Dallas Cowboys did not have one lead change in any of their games so far this year in their first through for the first nine, eight weeks of the year, every game they would just get up by 20 and crush, or they would get down big and then never come back. It just, you just knew what was going to happen. No lead changes is any game until recently, man. Like it's just, 
is this number too big now with DeVito? Like, he threw interceptions on consecutive pass attempts in the second quarter. They lose to the Raiders, who are starting O'Connell. He gets sacked six times. I, I mean, just out every every line. There's a buy-in point at some at some point. Is it is this the point where you buy in or talk to us about this game? It's DeVito. There's no buy-in point for me in this game. That's like, I yeah. Can't. Like, look, he, it, it's it's a double-digit divisional dog. This is like has me written all over it. But there, I'm not going to force a bet when we have a quarterback starting the league that should not be starting. Look, Giants have offensive line injuries, which is huge when you're going up with this defensive front that the Cowboys are bringing. You know, is this a letdown spot for the Cowboys after losing to um, losing to the Eagles? I don't think so. If they would have won that game, yeah, this big number I definitely would be laying. But look, I could sit here and rattle off all these stats, but at the end of the day, you have DeVito starting. This is their third string quarterback starting against a top five defense in the league on the road yeah. in Dallas. I I and this is the type of game where Dallas beats up on these teams. Yeah. When you have an yeah. offensive line with a lot of injuries, there's no way I want to touch this game. No, can't, can't do it. We go to Washington at Seattle. Seattle is coming off of a bad stretch of play for Geno Smith, but they're still five and three and still tied for first in the division. Smith has three consecutive games with multiple turnovers. He's now thrown an interception in four straight games and 13 of them in his last 15. They couldn't run the ball at all. Seattle uh, against wash against the, the Ravens. So they became super one dimensional. They only had 1.8 yards per carry um, on nine attempts for Walker. His best run was called back by a penalty. They had six first downs in the game. They went one of 12 on third down, only 151 total yards. And the Ravens had 515. The Seahawks had one drive that went farther than 50 yards and eight drives that didn't go farther than 11. To me, this number is just too big. I, I for some reason, all year, I, I think Seattle's just been a little bit overvalued on the betting lines just because the rest of the NFC is not that strong. But the thing about Washington that we know they're going to throw the ball and they're not going to stop throwing the ball. Eric Howell has dropped back 48 more times than any quarterback in the league. He actually leads the NFL in big time throws, but he's taken 15 more sacks than any quarterback in the league. They call him Sam sack. Howell. <laughs> he's on pace to break the all time record for dropbacks, which Tom Brady had. Um, he's had back-to-back games now with over 300 yards passing. I was reading through a article and they said, uh, one of the quotes said, Eric Bieniemy is just pretending that he's got Patrick Mahomes and I'm all for it here. You know, he's just letting Sammy Howell drop back, throw it as many times as possible. They pick up a win last week against the Patriots and their defense looks different now because they don't have sweat. They don't have young. They're not as overwhelming, but they didn't give up a ton of big plays. They allowed one 64 yard run. And other than that, the longest play they gave up went for 20 yards. I just think it's a good spot for Washington. I think this number is a little too big here. So I'm on the Washington side. Um, Yeah. Like I, I'll be honest. I'm just not high on either one of these teams. I really feel that the Patriots should have beat the commanders. I mean, Juju dropped that ball. There was that dumb special teams turnover that extended the commanders drive. Uh, Seattle's D-line D got better with the addition of Williams. DBs are good. Offensive line, struggling. Um, Geno Smith, you mentioned the struggles. Can you really trust Geno to win with this margin? 
Um, you know, look, I know Rivera is 58% ATS as a dog, but when you take out when he had, when he was with Carolina and Cam Newton, that number goes down a lot. Uh, to me, I really think those thing that stood out to me was the commanders with no sweat, no young are going to struggle stopping the run. We saw Stevenson break out that big run to me. The only thing I want to do in this game is I'll take Kenneth Walker in terms of DFS. Um, maybe if you can get plus 200 for him to rush for 100 yards, I'll look to play that. But in terms of side or total, I, this is another one of those games where I really don't want anything to do with it. Are you locked in the Raiders on the money line for this next game? I played them a little earlier, and they were uh, plus money on uh, the Raiders. And it's basically like a pick em with the Jets playing in Vegas. I love what I saw from the Raiders coming off that fired coach bump. I, Eric, the, some of the stories we're hearing about McDaniels, I'm sure you've heard some of them. The one that everyone's been talking about where the team is like airing it all out. They're sort of ripping on McDaniels. Everyone's getting really upset. And then Pierce comes in and he's the assistant coach. And he's like rallies the troops. He tells them, you know, we were on the Giants team and we weren't as good as the Patriots, but we had this chip on our shoulder and we thought we could beat them. And we rallied around it and we beat that undefeated Patriots team. And like a lot of the guys on the team are starting to believe they're starting to get, okay, cool. We're going to get it and good. I like this. So the team gets all excited. At least they, they start to believe. And when the team leaves, McDaniel sits there and he talks with some of the other coaches and he tells Pierce, don't you ever talk bad about that Patriots team? That's, that's what he said. Like coming out of that conversation, the guy's so out of touch that he didn't even thank a dude for possibly saving his back. And I think that was the final straw for like Davis and some of them where they're like, this guy's that far out of touch with reality that he's so more, he's more concerned with somebody talking bad about his beloved Patriots team from, from years ago than getting this group of guys in the locker room to like to believe in you and to trust you and to care about you. He's just a terrible people person from everything that's been read and just not someone that should be a head coach. We see a lot of guys like this, Eric, where they're good coordinators or they're good coaches. They're, they belong on a coaching staff in the NFL, but they shouldn't be leading a team. And he had this, he had the chance now with two different teams where he just blew it. I mean, he had really bad, bad coaching tenures years later. It wasn't like he learned anything from his first experience. And when it's that bad, I think there's something to be said for a team just getting rid of that and getting rid of that energy and feeling like they can just go out there and play football. Man, O'Connell looked a lot better last week. The defense looked better. They just looked more inspired. And I don't think, this should be a situation where the Jets should be favored or this should be close here. I still don't think on the road, the Jets are a team that should be, you know, getting some sort of margin here at all. And it's basically a pick but it was a plus one and a half a little earlier. Uh, I like the Raiders in this spot. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm going to wait. I'll see, you know, kind of what happens after that. Um, And it's kind of funny. That's not really funny, but um, Arizona State can't play in a bowl game. You know, they have some NCAA stuff going on. The reason why they have NCAA stuff going on, Antonio Pierce. You know what I mean? So yeah. all these people, this is like a tangent, but say that Harbaugh is going to be out of coaching. 
Harbaugh's a way better coach, the guy from Michigan, than Pierce. So even if sure. this Michigan stuff blows up, he's going to be in the NFL. I mean, if Pierce can destruct the Arizona State program and then get a job, he'll be in it. In terms Hands of this down. game, look, um, I don't think – I know Zach Wilson gets a lot of crud, okay, but there is a lot of draft passes. And I usually don't watch the Manning cast, but I just got it there just by accident because I just wanted to kind of see what it was like. Uh, the, last I will Monday. say, don't, Peyton and Eli and, are smart. They're not bad. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I just don't like. Me. I feel there should be a host. I feel like those two going back and forth. Sure, I agree. I feel there should be like someone. someone to, yeah, that's a good. You know, that's a good call. I agree. I kind of quarterback it a little bit, but. Payne made this point. He said that with Wilson in, there's no audibling. Whatever is called is called. It's just run. There's no changing. And it's Nate Hackett calling the plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, that, that combination so of Wilson like and Hackett. And, you know, you kind of look at this game and you got a couple ways you can think about it. Do we fade the Raiders after they just, acted like they won the Super Bowl, beating the Giants who didn't even have Daniel Jones because he went out and it was Danny DeVito back there playing quarterback. They're playing this Jets team. Now everyone's are going to say, well, what about the Jets defense? How are the Raiders going to be able to move the ball? Jets are 21 DVOA against the run. They allow 138.7 yards per game, 122 yards per game their last three. It was the so Jacobs' this first game, and they had 100 yards last yeah. week, too. Where, where they could just turn around, hand it off to Jacobs, open stuff up. And on the flip side of that, Raiders struggle defending the run. They're 29th DVOA, allowing 138.2 yards, 107 – oh, sorry, 138.2 yards per game and 112 their last three. But are the Jets going to give the ball to Brace Hall? He is only averaging 11.75 carries per game, which is absolutely insane. And then think about no Aaron Rodgers there. That insane factor is now doubled. Why isn't he getting more carries per game? And how are the Jets in all these goddamn primetime games, too, with this putrid offense? You know what I mean? I was thinking about that, too. There's a couple bad ones coming head, up. Yeah. I mean, can, is O'Connell not going to turn over the ball this this defense did limit the Chargers, which has some weapons. Um, I don't know what to do here. You know what I mean? Like, I really, I, I honestly have no idea what to do. Maybe I'll look at some Josh Jacobs props, but that that would be it. Because that's to me, that's the only path the Raiders have is to get the run game going with Jacobs. Because I don't trust O'Connor to be able to make the path the passes. The second flip side with the Jets, do you trust Zach Wilson? Do you trust Nate Hackett? Now, they had more first downs, total yards, yeah. yards per play, won the time of possession by nine minutes, three turnovers, eight penalties, and they're three of 17 on third down. And, now, like, Tyler Conklin dropped a pass. I mean, there is some – and I was on the Jets Monday night plus the points. I mean, there is some weird stat. I have it written down. I'm going to have – you're going to have to bear with me when I try to fight it. But it was, like, something – like, they did something that has never – um been done before with that loss it was something like five turnovers 20 you know and to lose by 20 points it was absolutely insane this the stat but i don't know i end of the day i probably won't bet this monday night football broncos at the bills and 
gosh, I mean, you have a Bills team that's now five and four, and they just have a really tough time getting started right now. They scored seven points going into the fourth quarter uh, against the Jags and Jill, uh, the Giants. On Sunday night, they had 10 points with five minutes left to go in the game. Opening drive, they go 85 yards, and then they get 37 yards the rest of the half. They are banged up. And, you know, now they're turning the ball over. They can't run the ball outside of Josh Allen. They don't have a, like those weapons after kind of like their digs. And now Kincaid's okay, but they don't really have like that next, like number two quite yet. Um, sort of a lot of like inconsistency there. Von Miller looks done or very hurt. He only has five pressures on 76 rushes this year. They, uh, so with Milano, they had a 40.5% passing success rate allowed, They were, which was fifth, and they were second in EPA per play allowed. Without Milano, they're 31st in passing success rate allowed, and they're 28th in EPA per play allowed. And I'm not saying it's just him, but he's sort of the center of that defense, and now you all of a sudden have three or four pieces. Villers not giving you anything that you were expecting at all. And... You know, their defense led the league in takeaways after week four. Since then, they have three. And they have zero in the last two games. So, like, just add all those things up. They're not getting takeaways. Their defense is undermanned. They can't really run the ball. And they don't have that many great weapons outside of, like, digs. So, like, overall, they're not a fantastic football team right now, Eric. And my whole thing is I just don't think they should be laying more than a touchdown in a situation like this, this to me is prime for a backdoor for a Denver team coming off a bye here that maybe could have figured some things out uh, a little bit. So I'm, I'm on the Denver side here. Definitely not laying it with Buffalo. Um, Real quick. I found the thing. Um, Jets are the only team in the NFL Super Bowl era to have their defense collect five plus sacks, hold an opponent to under 200 yards, not allow any 25 yard plays and yet lose a game by 20 plus points. I mean, that's Ugly. absolutely Ugly. remarkable. Um, Ugly. So in terms of this game, the main thing I really want to see is I want to see what the Broncos are going to do with Josh. Sorry, with Javante Williams. Javante really kind of looked what I thought he'd look like last week. Sorry, two weeks ago against the um, against the Chiefs, you know, first Finally looked like he was back from that ACL injury. Are they going to continue to run him? Because you mentioned how the defense has struggled with no Milano there. Uh, we made a lot to do about the Broncos defense. And people are going to remember them allowing 70 points. Well, if you just look at the last three weeks, they're averaging giving up 15 points per game to a, the, the to the opposing offense. And the Chiefs have been That's pretty them. good. The, the two games are against the Chiefs. Two of the three yeah. are against the Chiefs. Um, you know, look, Bill's defense is struggling without Milano. Uh, this Broncos defense, you know, it can be thrown on with a tight end with Joseph playing it. Uh, I, but then you look at it, Allen historically, you know, laying seven and a half or more, he's 64% against the number. Wilson, 63.6% ATS as a dog with the Broncos. Seven is a lot, but why hasn't this number moved? You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of been sitting at seven now for a while. Why hasn't, you know what I mean? Like, why hasn't this number moved down to seven? That's the only 
thing that I find a little bit weird with it. Um, I'm if I bet it, I'll probably be on the Broncos, but right now I'm just kind of kind of laying back. There's a look at NFL Week Ten. So this week, Eric will be going to visit family and uh, heading out of town. So what we're gonna do on Friday? I don't think we're even gonna run, have a show. I was talking to Jack this week. I think we're just gonna have off Sunday. Chase is going to join me for NFL betting blitz. Uh, So Sunday morning at 11 o'clock AM Eastern time, Chase will join for Eric and we'll go through all of the Sunday and Monday games. And then next week we'll be uh, back to our normal schedule where we'll have Wednesday Eric recording with me for the podcast Friday for the winning ticket Sunday for NFL betting blitz. Eric, are you going to post your podcast out this week? Yeah, my podcast should come out insanely early Friday morning before I leave to go back. Uh, my stream came out yes Tuesday, where you know me and Brandon, who's a professional eye racer, we both give out our top three bets for the for the weekend. We'll be giving you a follow at etof two one on Twitter. Thanks so much, buddy. I hope you have a, a fun, safe weekend and uh, enjoy the time with your family. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks so much. If you're listening on the podcast, still a lot more to come. If you're watching on social media, on the videos, make sure to give Eric a follow and make sure to subscribe to That's What G Said podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Big thank you to Eric for helping us out as we move from NFL into horse racing. First up, we'll go Friday best bets at Woodbine, and then it'll move right on into Friday and Saturday best bets for Del Mar with Barry. And that'll go to Saturday Woodbine immediately following that. So we'll go Friday Woodbine and then Friday, Saturday Barry, since that was all together. And then we'll go uh, and finish up with Saturday Woodbine. Kick back and enjoy as we get into all of our uh, best bets of racing for this weekend. Let's talk some Woodbine for Friday. There's actually a couple of stakes races on the Friday program at Woodbine. So we'll talk about November the 10th racing for Friday. Remember, you can get free all-access pass performances right now and a $200 sign-up bonus when you sign up for a DRF Bets account. Use the promo code STAKES and then put 200 bucks in because they'll match all the way up to that 200 and they'll give you 10 free formulator pass performances. And then every 50 bucks that you wager, you'll get another free formulator pass performance. So Woodbine Friday, I'm going to take a look at races three, seven, and eight. So the third race is in that early pick five. Remember the early pick five starts in race number two, and you can play for just a 20 cent based wager and they have a $50,000 guarantee that starts in that pick five in race number two. But the third race, I'll give you a horse. So I think you really want to use in your pick five sequence. That's the number nine, get my drift sort of go through her career. She took money in her debut. Three of her four races have been, all of her races have been against better, but a couple of them have been against much better where she just seemed a little bit overmatched. I think her races are kind of deceiving because she's, been involved and she's had trouble in a couple of them. She's actually had some trouble at the start in a couple of the races, but 
I feel like this is just a much better spot for her. She was a step slow. She was not far out of it. She came on again. She really ran in spots in that October 12th race. I think the distance will help her with some of those slow starts and the drop in class should really help. There just was not a lot of passing in her last race. Get my drift. She's six to one on the morning line. Anything over seven to two. I think that's worthy of a win wager on get my drift. Now let's move to the seventh race for Friday at Woodbine. And this is going to be one of the two stakes races. This is the Lake Ontario going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic. I think if you're trying to beat rapid test, you go right next door with pool and OT. The three horse looks like the horse to catch stretching out from sprint races. And now going to the mile and a 16th. I think he takes him as far as he can go. The blinkers come off. Look at some of the company. This horse has faced comes out of a race where they actually had the DQ, the top two finishers from that one. But prior to that, he's behind Patches O'Houlihan a couple times. And look at how sharp Patches O'Houlihan is. This is a horse who's won seven of eight starts and is a multiple graded stakes winner. You see other horses in the running lines for uh, Pulinoti, Cal Kokaipu, and Paramount Prince. Uh, you know, Cal Kokaipu, who was in the Kings play in the Prince of Wales. And how about your Kings plate winner paramount Prince right here who went wire to wire gate to wire that day. I think it's a really good spot for them to try to get aggressive with this horse stretching out on the front end pooling in OT, the number three trying to beat the favorite rapid test right next door. And then we will go to race number eight, which is the Ashbridge's Bay. $100,000 stakes for three-year-old Phillies going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic. I like the five in here. And that is Silent Sky, who's not done a whole lot wrong in her career. And in particular, recently, she's been very honest. I feel like she's going to get a good setup in here. That October 21st race, she was chasing a lone speed winner, so she couldn't make up ground on She Makes a Point. In this race, I think she'll get a little bit of pace to chase because... You've got very gizmo stretching out from the sprints. I think she'll be close up in here. Seattle Clausway. feel like she'll want to be forwardly placed in here. And you've got fashionably fab to the outside. So between the three of them, a couple of them stretching out, feel like Silent Sky should get a really nice trip from behind in here with a little more pace to chase. The number five, Silent Sky. Six to one on the morning line. Anything four or above feels fair. There's a look at Friday at Woodbine. A couple plays for you throughout the card. Good luck. A couple stakes races. We will be back with more Saturday coverage for Woodbine. So if you're playing the Woodbine races on Saturday, come on over to Twitter and uh, check out our video or subscribe to the podcast. That's what G said podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts, $200 sign up bonus right now with DRF bets. Use that promo code stakes. Good luck this weekend at Woodbine. Opening weekend at Del Mar for this short Bing Crosby meet. 
We are very excited to talk some Del Mar racing this weekend. The we is me, Gino Bacola, alongside my good friend, Barry Spears, the sniper. We'll talk some Del Mar, Bing Crosby meet. We'll look at those DRF past performances from daily racing form. And Barry, my friend, we're coming off of a big Breeders' Cup week where you and I were talking. uh, Both seems like we had a decent Friday. And then Saturday's a little too much favorites for you and I to make uh, the type of money we would like. Oh, yeah, man. It was such a great weekend, you know, despite all the chalk on Saturday. I mean, my voice, I'm sure people that have heard me before can hear that my voice isn't back yet. (laughs) Yeah, I was screaming so hard for fierceness at the at the county fair. You know, everybody was looking at me sideways, (laughs) but it was all fun. Man, I had a great time. I love love the Breeders' Cup every year and uh, hopefully, you know, have another great one next year. And uh, for the next two years, they're actually going to be in Del Mar, where we're uh, we're going to be talking about these Del Mar races now. And I know some folks on the East Coast and in the Midwest to get a little frustrated with that because it's been in Southern California a lot. I think some of the time they get frustrated at that man. That's the best place to be. I mean, the weather's great. The venue's nice and big. And I think there's there's sometimes there's more things behind the scenes that we than we are kind of taking into account. It's just not not everybody is always wanting to or able to throw their hat into the ring every year to host it. Some of these tracks are having renovations. So that way in future years, they'll be able to host it better and, and just sort of improve their track. We're seeing Belmont. I think Churchill was also kind of in a limbo situation. So yeah, we'll get a couple years at Del Mar coming off of a, a good, good weekend. Like you said, some of the handle and stuff was down. I, I got to say, I think it was just because the last couple months in racing in particular, haven't been the best, right? The, right. like there was Saratoga meet was just a struggle of a meet overall. It was very sad yeah, rain, just like, a lot of rain, and, a lot of rain. And then sadness. sadness. We lost yeah. some horses throughout that were really good, like quality horses. There's just been a, then even in the days leading up to the breeders cup, we had a couple horses pass away. We had another major horse have to scratch. That was the really sick feel good story all year with Archangelo and Jenna, you know? And so the energy and the vibe wasn't fantastic going in to the Breeders' Cup. And, you know, things will go up and down. And hopefully it can get a little bit better. It just, we had a lot of horses have to scratch leading in. So yeah, I think that affected the handle too. Completely. Um, you know, less horses, obviously there's less betting interest and less money bet. Yep. So that there's a direct correlation there. But you're right. It, it, I mean, it kind of exemplified the whole year. There, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. It was just not a good year as a whole as far as like, you know, the, the scrutiny and everything else that, that came along with that. I think the, the industry had to adjust to the scrutiny that they're getting. And I think they're doing a good job and, and going forward, hopefully it can be better. And then they can streamline these processes with HISA and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, always got to be optimistic. And as we get ready for this meet, I also want to mention uh, our friends over at Stable Duel. They are going to have contests all throughout the Del Mar meet. They're actually going to have what's called the Del Mar's Bing's Best $500 Bonus. <laughs> so if you play in a contest every day, um, what they're going to do, the player with the highest average score at the Del Mar meet, so from November 10th through December 3rd, they're going to give you $500 in Stable Duel game credits. So... Um, you know, if you're playing every day or if maybe a couple of these days you were thinking about playing or not, they're going to give you a little incentive to whoever has the highest average. So um, they'll give you, you know, the summary of rules, $500 bonus. They have to have the average at the end of the contest. They must play in 15 games. 
throughout the Del Mar meet. So you get credit still in all the individual contests, but they'll tack on, uh, you know, that extra bonus for you. The, that's sort of one of the payouts for the, uh, the pick'em contest too, that we enjoy from Santa Anita with they, they do those too, you know, those pick'em contests and then oh, yeah. they'll, they'll give that, um, they'll give that award for like a cumulative award, whoever has like the high score throughout the meet too. So um, I think my buddy be, ZZ won that. ZZ won it again. I think, Yeah, I think ZZ's won it multiple times. Yeah. Two times in a row. So shout out there. Uh, check out uh, Stable Duel. I'm going to have a couple write-ups for, I think, some of these Del Mar contests. Barry, you and I are going to talk a few best bets for Friday and a few best bets for Saturday. You are going to be looking at races 6 and 7 on Friday, and I'm actually going to get us started a little bit earlier in race number 4 for Friday. So the Friday races at Del Mar will kick off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'm actually going to be down there on Friday. How about this? I haven't been to the racetrack live for a, a couple years. Honestly, I did a thing at TVG where they had that reunion where I went oh, to yeah, yeah. a few years ago. And then one day I went to Santa Anita and I was on the seminar with Tom Quigley before the races, like a year and a half ago, it started pouring one day, but I was doing yeah. the seminar that day. Other than that, I've rarely been out. It's so comfortable at home and easy to just play from home nowadays. Right. And if I yeah, just no go, idea, bro, half the time right? I'm at the beach, <laughs> Right. And so it's so easy to do it from your phone or wherever that I hadn't gone out. But now uh, I went out in Santa Anita for the Breeders' Cup both Friday and Saturday. And then I'll actually be out at Del Mar. Uh, it's my mom's birthday on. Oh, happy birthday, Mama. Mom's birthday is the 11th. Milo's is the 12th. So oh, wow. back to back. back. Important birthdays yeah. coming up. So, uh, yeah, Phil, family's going to go down there this weekend. I'm going to go down just on Friday hang out, go to the track for the day, come back and help watch the the dogs on the, for the rest of the weekend. But I think Milo's going to stay down there and be down there with grandma and Nani and, my, and uh, Stephanie is going to be down there too. So it'll, they'll have a fun time, but I'll get to go to the track on Friday and hopefully we can make some money. And I'm going to start Barry with one of my better plays in the fourth race. And this race is a maiden special eight for two-year-olds going a mile. So we're stretching out here now for some of these, two-year-old horses and the horse who I actually like has already stretched out one time, but that was in a spot that was just a little bit too tough. I'm talking about indispensable who was last time out in the grade one American Pharaoh behind Muth wind me up and horses that are just a little bit better. But I, I looked at both of these races and in his debut race on August the 25th, he was like a step slow. He was last. He was about nine lengths off and he started to move nicely into contention. He angled around widest of all, the top two finishers in that race were um, we're gonna that was the uh, the grade one. We can look at the chart. The top two finishers in this race, they were pretty close up early. They just got a big advantage on him, and they got a major jump. I thought he ran really well to finish third, and they thought enough of him off of that third place finish to at least toss him into the American Pharaoh. That probably wasn't the strongest American Pharaoh, and they felt like hey, maybe we can hit the board in there. And I think more than anything, they wanted the the stretch out, right? They wanted to be able to give this horse a little bit more distance, and they figured we'll take a swing. It, it was just a little too much to ask, and he got bumped at the start, and then he sort of rushed up, and he then he got pushed out into the turn. And just in the first quarter, there was sort of sneaky trouble, and then you're not going to really make up ground against really, really good horses like that. I think he's got some fitness now and a little bit of stamina built in from those two races, from those two starts. Also, Sadler has not been great recently with 
debut runners with first timers much better with the second and the third time starters. So I think there's foundation, there's class relief and it's kind of looking at this field. It feels like there's at least a couple horses that we've already seen show speed in here, Barry, you know, that kind of from the inside out, the two point doom is already flash speed will likely be forwardly placed again. You've got Colorado cruiser. Who's got Maldonado aboard. And this horse is stretching out from sprint races where he wasn't that far out of it. I think those two at least are pushing the pace. You've got Bartholody who's stretching out and wasn't too far out of it sprinting. And, you know, towards the outside, Coach Prime was forwardly placed, you know, last time out. Ario, another one forwardly placed. So I think it's going to be a very honest pace in here. Absolutely. Um, You know, I I really took a long look at this race, and and I'm glad that you're covering it. because I, I was, I kind of got lost <laughs> yeah, it's, while it's I was good, looking at it. No, I know what it, you mean. I know what you mean. It's a good race. There's not like anything overwhelming that stands out. So you can get a little bit lost kind of going for and against everyone. My, my major, what I just kind of kept coming to was as I kept looking at each of these horses, I really did think a lot of these horses are going to want to push early, especially with these two to the outside. Having that speed, that's one thing you and I talk about a lot too, right? When the horse is drawn to the outside, have speed, then you know they kind of have to go early. It's going to be quick, you know, to push it. And then there's a couple more to the inside. And I really do think it'll be a, a, a situation where Indispensable will probably get the best trip he's ever got now in his career for with a chance to really kind of sit back and then make one late run. Well, yeah, that, you know, that's, that's why, you know, I, I value what you were saying about this horse and I, I wasn't bold enough to, to attempt to pick one in here. Um, but you made a really great case for indispensable. The, the horse that kind of caught my eye was the four kind of a little makeover package there. And, yep. and I thought that one might have something to do with it, but I don't really know if they're going to try to send or not. And if they do, they're screwed. Um, but you know, I, I, I would definitely take a shot with in, indispensable here. I mean, it's very logical that a horse would improve there's enough pace for that one to, to, to roll late. That's a good pick. There's indispensable at six to one as we move from race number four to race number six for Barry and actually myself. I think we both have one. Oh, we're probably on the six. same one, I think. So we're first level allowance for Calbreds going six on the dirt. Tell us where you land, my friend. I landed on number four. Oh, you knew it. Yeah, Yeah, because I mean, all the signs are there. You know, this horse is improving, started off on the turf, didn't run that well, put him on the dirt at Del Mar, which is great because, you know, this horse can handle that surface. Not everybody does. Comes back off that layoff um, and, and runs excellent in the maiden. It was just something to build off. This horse is in the right spot. There's enough speed here for this horse to attack. Um, all systems go. I mean, yeah. I, I hope we get the price that, you know, the morning line is. And if we're playing like stable duel, that's great about a six to one shot in this case. Right. Um, oh yeah. That's you get perfect. The, the, the horse came back off of that long, long layoff needed the race a little bit. This is really the first time she's going to be able to kind of put two together too. Mm-hmm. This she'll be really fit in this race. And what I loved about the October 15th race, there were five horses that all kind of lined up and wanted the lead and she was super like handy. He was able to just kind of back her off a little bit, kind of keep her out of getting like lined up and going battling with everyone. And a lot of times you get sort of in trouble and shuffled. She just seems like she's really like push button 
you know, she's got some gears where they can take her back and then start her again. And let's go this way and then take back for a second and now go. I think that'll really help her in this race where it looks like there's three or four other speeds that she can sit right behind. Yeah, we're both on the number four in here. Scary fast ride. Six to one on the morning line in a, a really nice spot on opening day at Del Mar in race number six. So you're going to go in the seventh in the Del Mar uh, turf, the feature for opening day, and then I'll close this out in race number eight. Uh, you are going let it ride. Where are you going? I am going to number five, Smart Mo. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's, it's crazy that this horse is six to one on the line, so I figured I'd exploit that, especially in a, in a stable duel situation. Um, you know, this horse has been running in really, really good races and not embarrassing uh, himself. I mean, those, those graded, the, the graded, the grade three was probably his worst, um, on the turf and it wasn't really all that bad. He was only no. four and a half lengths off. There's eight in the race. So they were all kind of bunched together. So it wasn't and, the strongest event, but it's going to be stronger than what he's going to face, uh, tomorrow. He was sort of down inside and there wasn't a lot of room for him when he wanted to go. It wasn't like that overwhelming trouble, but Every time he sort of looked like he was trying to move into a space, there wasn't a whole lot there. And then by the time he he had a little opening, it just he was a little flat. He was only four. He was only nine to two in that race, right? And you know he, he got was, bet there. He, he was definitely bet. And you know, I mean, just looking at what you know on the pages here, and Dandy Man shines is the favorite. And how no, thank you. you know, I, yeah, I mean, this horse has been around the block. He can and and still if he beats me. He can right. beat me. The, to me, price, there were two horses in this race that jumped out at me, and it, the five was absolutely one of them. That last race, too, he's behind Arrow the Great, who went gate to wire. Uh, the damn Vendita. This horse was an eight-time winner on the turf. Like, this was a legitimate yeah. turf yep. horse as well. So there's reason for this horse to be better than we thought just based off that one turf race. And, yeah, this horse has some ability, too. I think he's got a little more... You know, his last couple of races may look like he's not as tactical. He's been in some fast run races where they went fast early. So he exactly. may have been like a couple lengths farther back. He's not like a stone cold closer of a horse. No, he's, definitely not. I think those those races, like you said, were way tougher. Um, yep. I, I think he's going to sit a good trip here because the, yeah. the inside horses are probably going to have to go. And yeah. that's going to set everything up. All three of them are probably going to be right there. This one's going to slide right in. And, and get and, covered up and wait. I, I think I'm going to make this one like the center of my, my well, betting tomorrow. Exactly <laughs> why you, what you said was why I, the, the two horses that I looked at when I was handicapping this race, the ones that jumped out at me were the five and the one. And then the, what you were just saying was the reason why I leaned more to the five than the one I'm going to throw this horse into uh, like a pick four or pick five late because I can see versions of the race where both the two and the three sort of just let the one go a little bit. And they're like, hey, this horse is stretching out and we don't, you know, we can sit off a bit. But the more I looked at the race with these riders in particular, like with Pratt aboard the three, he is a very aggressive rider. And I don't think he will try to, I don't think he's going to want to let these horses get that far away from him. And so the more I thought, if the one's going and the three's going and then the two's in between them and this horse gets forced and then all three of them end up going, that's kind of why I came back to the five as my main play. But I, there may be a versions of this race where the two and three take back a little and let the one go. 
and this horse is pretty fast. If that, yeah, I was going to say, you know, if they let that horse go, he might burn them all. Like you said, yeah. there, are, there are versions of the race because you see the last three races gotten uh, some trouble early. So the total horse hasn't really gotten a run. Exactly. Total excuses. One of them was in the breeders cup and he had trouble. And then following that, you know, the races are, the race is sandwiched by a layoff. He shows back up in March and then he's gone for six months. That's always when something happens. Yeah. And he had legitimate he trouble that day. Mm-hmm. So he, again, and then the last race, he couldn't get anywhere near the lead after getting bumped around at the start. Um, he was in tight from the rail, and then he just got caught behind horses down on the inside. And now he's just going to go. And if they let him go, I, I wanted to at least mention him to throw him into sure. a pick four or pick five somewhere. But I do keep coming back to like the way we were, we were talking it out. I think it really does set up for Smart Mo, you know, yeah, to, to get hoping. the trip in here. <laughs> yeah. At six to one on the morning line. Let's close out Friday with my uh, my play in race number eight. This is a 50 starter allowance going a mile on the dirt. I thought the three really fit well in this race, just sort of going from the inside out. You've got duty first who's stretching out from sprint races where on the dirt, he was right on the lead and he's pretty quick. You've got midnight fury. Who's also stretching out and he's pretty quick. Uh, you continue along to the five lonesome stew who's really fast and he's going to go. Um, and then you look at, you know, like Bennett and Joe, he's going to be pretty close. He's quick and he wants to be sitting right there. Hondo crouch is drawn to the outside. He's stretching out from sprint races. I think combinations of any of the five of those horses could all be, you know, flashing a little bit of speed in here. So I came back to the three creative way, you know, his first couple races, He's against better, still like a little bit too tough against maiden special weights. And then when he drops in at Churchill, he ran really, really well this day. He makes a big move. He comes from just a little bit off of it. Then last time out at Keeneland, he gets claimed. He's in for 30 non-winners of two. More mainly about the trip he's going to get in here, sitting off the pace. I think if he runs something close to this race on September 20th, where he's able to just get the trip with all these speed horses in here, Barry, I thought at a very fair price. Um, another angle that you kind of look to, I've seen many a times where you're looking through the race. It's like, who is the proven closer at this trip? Mm-hmm. And I go through the entire field and the horse who I know can sit off the pace and pass horses going a mile and a 16th or going a mile is the three. Yep. Yeah. All the indications point that he's going to close and, you know, um, it's a, it's going to be a pretty good setup. I I'd be surprised if you, if you get 12 to one. Yeah. And he, Um, maybe he doesn't win. Maybe he gets a little too far back, but I'm confident that if he's just taken back, he's going to be passing a bunch of these horses late. Absolutely, and he really, they're going to get tired. Yeah, <laughs> up front. A, a lot of them, they haven't been this trip, and their best efforts are when they're right on the lead. And yeah, he, he's going to sit a nice trip in here. Creative way at 12 to 1. So a look at Friday for you. Hopefully we can lead you to a few prices on Friday over at Del Mar. And we're now going to turn the page to Saturday at Del Mar. Take a look at November the 11th. Happy birthday, uh, mom, Eleven, eleven, And uh, Barry, you are going to be looking at Saturday races four, five, and seven. I'll get us started on Saturday in race number three. While I flip-flop 
the past performances, Barry, give everybody your plugs. Talk to us about uh, what you've got going, the new website, everything you guys have going with uh, Big Mondays, going in circles with Chuck. Oh, yeah, man. We got some exciting things going on. You know, I I, I put out a tweet the other day that they even got me writing over at uh, Racing Hunt. Okay. Website. So I, I did okay. some write-ups for uh, for the Breeders' Cup Um and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna add some more stuff about you know betting theory and things like that. Chuck does his usual. So we're gonna we're gonna add that into our mix as well with the going in circles podcast that we do every Monday, Big Monday show. So um we're gonna try to expand our horizons here. Like the website, you have some AI stuff going on. It, it, it's pretty cool, and we're also doing sports. So you have a good following. You have a lot of people that like your stuff that are interested. People trust you, you guys that you're you're Horse players, yeah, you're, we, just, you're steering people in the right direction. They like to hear what your your opinions are. Like to hear if you guys have a thought on some races, but they people really enjoy you guys just discussing a lot of the topics. And uh, yeah, it's good yeah, to see just getting your involved a little bit more. Those are real kind words. I mean, the goal and when we started this, um, the idea was to to be you know kind of candid and not be beholden to certain things in the industry where, you know, some people can say certain things and some people can, and depends on who and what we really don't have any of that. I mean, we do a little bit because of some relationships and stuff like that, but we're not going to spare words. And, and I think that's what, you know, um, a lot of the hardcore kind of horse players are, are we're looking for. And um, hopefully we're doing that. People appreciate it. And uh, we always appreciate the insight from the sniper as we move to Del Mar Saturday. I'm going to start in race number three, and then we'll get over to Barry for race number four. In the third race, we're going to go to the turf course. We're going to go two-year-old Phillies going a mile on the turf in here. I the, I like these types of races at this part of the year. Um, we have these younger horses that are now getting a chance to go longer. We just had one that we talked about on the dirt for Friday. Uh, there are a couple of horses I think that would make a lot of sense in this race too. These are the types of races I really like to handicap where I think you can pick three or four horses and, and feel like you have the right type of horse at the right type of price. For me in this race, it was pink Whitney. Uh, again, kind of a similar template to the horse I talked about last time out. This one tried a little bit tougher after a couple solid races on the grass for her. She's another one where she just has to get out of the gate a little bit better She's not as deep or as stone cold of a closer as it might look on paper. The September 8th race was the one I actually really liked. She was sixth early. She was about four lengths off. She was just wide all the way around. And she was out in the four path at the top of the lane. She just didn't get pace or a trip. I thought she just still ran pretty well. And this is, I think, what she wants to do going long on the grass. I mean, she was favored in that race. In the race before that, she was nine to two. And in here, she's eight to one on the morning line after running fine in both of those races and then stepping up and facing a lot better on the dirt and just kind of taking a swing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's really evident that this horse has an affinity for the grass. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, at this point, it's, it's one of those things where maturity and, and racing will, will get, get it done. And I think you, you got one right here. Um, and, she, she's going to be in a really good position to win this race. And looking at the one Oradium, who I think could sit a nice trip, but will want to be forwardly placed in here. You've got a horse like the two who's stretching out, who I would not be shocked to see close up. We know the three, Mocha Grande, wants to be forwardly placed, wants to be close up. And we know that uh, Tianma has also shown speed and has been pretty close up sprinting. 
So right there, combinations of all of them, possibly even the nine drawn to the outside, it should be an honest enough pace to set it up for a horse like Pink Whitney, who will be coming, needs that pace, and I think fits really well in here at eight to one. So Pink Whitney is the play, eight at eight to one in race number three for me. Right next door, Barry will cut back to a dirt sprint in race number four. Oh yeah, we love those. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean that that's uh, at least lately. I, I have yep. to say that those races you've been doing well. Yeah, I, I, I've been I've been really on it as far as you know the 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 shorter races. I, I've always I I mean as as a as a horse player, you kind of want to figure out your strengths and weaknesses. And and I over the years, you know, it's changed. I mean, you have to be aware of what you're doing and and how you're doing it. Um, you know. I can safely say that allowance races going long on the dirt is probably my worst handicapping that I'll ever do. Um, not saying that I don't hit races, but it, I just don't have the comfort level I do with sprints right now. Doesn't mean that's going to change. Obviously, I'm going to work on that. But um, you know, it, it's 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 really good to to kind of go through the gambit of of what you do and evaluating yourself and be honest. I mean, you know, that's the only way you're going to improve. Um, and that's what I always do. I, I mean, even after the weekend, usually I do it on Sunday nights and I kind of look back at what I did and I'm like, ah, I could have did this, you know, I kind of messed up that structure on that ticket and it cost me, you know, and that's how you not, you know, you reduce the mistakes that you make. Now, with that being said, um, this is a race. I think that the pace is, is going to be pretty hot. Um, and I went to the outside horses, Flatter with Jewels. I think this horse doesn't need the lead. Um, coming out of mile races, I know this horse has been laid off since June, but this is not a stellar field. Um, this horse like can this do this. Uh, you know, you got the eight, and she's a girly girl who will probably have to, will be behind Flatter with Jewels, which is the reason I picked this horse, because getting the jump is going to make all the difference has the numbers in the past to, to, to win this race. Obviously the trainer's decent um, off this kind of a layoff and probably that, I think that that price is going to float up a little bit because you see the voided claim on June 9th and you haven't seen the horse since mm-hmm. now, you know, it's kind of one of those, what have you done with me lately kind of things. And you haven't seen this horse, you see the big V next to the thing and, and people are going to shy away. Yep. Um, but from it, from our standpoint, when we're looking at this course, what we have now is what six consecutive workouts, mm-hmm. pretty steady coming right into this. So, you know, September 21st, 28th, October 5th, 13th, 21st, 28th, end of October. And now you're entered for this one. So you got back on a good pattern heading into this race. And like you're saying, this is a six year old mare, an older mare who we just need to be good on the in, track. In, well, on the <laughs> Just track, have to get on there, get on there and be in, been in like a little fresh and in a good spot coming off the bench because she should be able to finish against this group. Right. And, and that's, that's what I'm hoping for. I think, I think she's going to sit a great trip, especially with, with a lot of speed to the inside, you know, uh, the seven, uh, has a lot of speed. Um, the three was, it's kind of confusing here, um, as a horse that's probably going to take action because of the rider. Um, I'm just not so confident that horse can finish races off and there she's definitely going to have uh, some contention. The one Tropicana girls, another one with speed. So this, this pace is going to heat up. And I think this horse for the most part 
um, is a miler cutting back, and that usually spells a, a good kind of stalking off the pace trip. And and I think it's uh the time is right for flatter jewels. The number nine flatter with jewels eight to one on the morning line. A very fair price there. In race number four on Saturday at Del Mar, Barry and I will both move to the fifth race, my friend. Start us off here in this uh, optional 80 second level allowance. We're going five furlongs on the turf. Same same sort of uh, tactic or or you know analysis here where there's a lot of speed a horse that might or should be well placed should get the job done it's and i'm on secrets told the two horse Secrets um, told i i like the fact that this horse got claimed in a similar race um goes to a starter allowance wins and then steps back up that tells me that the the, the trainer is very confident in this horse's ability going this trip has the numbers to to kind of uh, sit right off of this hot pace because yep. the inside horse is going to fly. Alternate rock has to get out there. Um, and just to like for- a small thing that I like, he she was able to win from the inside last time out, right? And so it just she sh- she had this type of trip where if they go a little fast, she doesn't have to get shuffled all the way back. She doesn't like get stuck in there because she needs the lead. She's fine just taking it back a couple lengths, sitting behind them. And then saving ground and making a move. So I just saw her make like sit the type of trip that she may have to sit in this exact race with that exact sort of post, you know? Well, yeah, that and if you look at her progression after the um, the layoff in May, goes in the daisy cutter, and that clearly was overhead. So you can forgive that one. Runs in a similar race to this one, kind of gets into into some trouble late. Yep. Apparently they. You know, it seems like they thought that the rider was the issue because they got rid of the rider. Gets claimed out of that $50,000 non-winners of one going six and then goes into the starter allowance, which is, you know, usually those those races are kind of comparable. And and the October 7th race, she was a little too close to this very fast mm-hmm. pace. Honestly, right. and, that's and, really and, what it came down to. Right, and 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 I think they learned from that, and and you see what happened the second the ne- time. The next time, right after right. they say, "Let's take back a little bit because we don't want to be up there chasing like that." That's not a great trip for anyone. But exactly. let's sit back, use our tactical speed, and just get it, try to get the jump on deep closers. Right, and I think they're going to do the same thing, and I think it's going to work out good. I just want the horse to be twenty to one, not twelve to one. <laughs> yeah. Secrets told for Barry. Uh, we're looking for the same sort of trips here. I I went to the seven, the seven uh, MS for magic in okay. here. Uh, MS for magic actually is coming out of that race where we just had wet my beak who finished mm. third, come back and win on the undercard of the breeders cup and earn a really nice speed figure in doing so. So the race has already come back live and MS for magic was off a little slow was steadied early was like, last of six was five lengths off and, and made an early move. And then was in a three-way photo for second. It's another one of those races where horse finished fourth, but was right there on the wire with these horses. It would have looked a lot better finishing second. She had a little bit of time off after each of her last couple races. Now she'll put two together. She'll be a little bit sharper. You actually have Juan Hernandez jumping aboard, which should signal a positive that this is a, a mare who's, been pretty consistent throughout her career. Like her grass races overall have been pretty good. She's just been a horse who hasn't mind settling for some unders. And I think in here, this is kind of a good spot for the trip that she could get. 
Second start off the bench with a big win rider jumping aboard. M is for Magic, 6-1 to one on the morning line. So 6-1, to one, and then Barry's going a little bigger with the 12-1 to one shot there. Barry, we will both go to race number seven, and then I'll finish this out in race number eight. The seventh race is the stakes race on Saturday. It's the feature. It is the Catherine Crosby. And it's actually, you've got some nice horses in here. These are just Phillies and mares who haven't won a, a stakes race recently, of you know, other than 60. So it's it's horses that are just kind of on the upswing and or horses that maybe have been facing graded stakes company and, and maybe just are trying to get a slight, slight drop in class. But it's a, it's a solid race. Like, it's a good betting race here. Talk to us about who's on your radar. Yeah, this is, this is a really nice race, like you mentioned. Um, you know, you have horses that in Dolce Zell who, who had a barn switch from, from Chad Brown on the East Coast to, to Phil D'Amato, the best turf trainer on the West Coast. So, And this is a multiple graded stakes winner. She just hasn't yeah. run this year. That's and, why she fits the conditions of this race. Right. She's, she's notorious for that, as you can see in the, in the past performances, all those lines. Um, and, you know, if there's any time that she can get beat, it's going to be on, on Saturday. Yep. Um, given the trip that she might get that where everybody wants. Yep. Um, you have the eight lucky for you. You have the six Gonadora. They're definitely going to, to, to kind of heat up the place. Turner loose. Definitely is going to be there. Very yep. scary. Probably also. Um, and maybe even Linda's gift could get involved. So there, there's, you know, usually when you have three or more lined up that there are mm-hmm. speed horses, you kind of get a, a, a fair, or more than fast pace than what you need. And I ended up on number seven, free and humble. Yeah. I think that that last race um, against Ruby Nell was pretty decent. It was six and a half. Probably, you know, probably that field was too tough. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the distance was the issue. I think the field was very, very tough. Ruby Ruby Nell came back and just crushed in the auto miss the other day earned a 95 buyer speed figure and winning that thing by three plus lengths. We saw alternate rock come out of that race to win next start winning uh, for 50. And just like you said, a, like a solid group, even Justique was in there and right. some and, like cla- other quality horses. Right. So this might actually be almost a little bit of class relief. I know Dolce yeah. is in here, but that horse is coming off the layoff. So you can't really say that that horse is going to be what she was when she left the track. Um, but in the maybe, that was too far, way too far. And, and this horse won an $80,000 non-winners of one at Del Mar, the previous race. You know, and I think getting back to what this horse is probably best at, this horse is a turf miler. That's all this says to me. Yep. And getting Mike Smith, who doesn't really ride that much for Peter Miller, I, I think this is this is where we're going. You know, free, good stuff right here. <laughs> free and humble. Another twelve to one shot from Barry. I'm gonna go inside and hope that this Linda's gift sits right. You were talking about the horses to go. She in can. Here. She definitely and can. And that's why I'm hoping that that they end up in the last. I think a two starts back. She was stretching out from that sprint race. So I, I and they were not going fast. They just ended up getting aggressive with her from the inside. They went 49 to the half mile. And then last time out, I think it was a smaller field. She just tried to stay with the the lone speed horse. I think that's really what it was. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's going to do that in this race. I think they'll be completely fine sitting fourth or fifth in here. And I'm hoping that's the case because I think she's super honest. 
And she's a horse where if you just toss the race that center to the bench for a year and the one that and came, the one off, the bench. That came yeah. off the bench, everything else really makes sense. Stellar. Yeah. Um, she, the other race that you can excuse is a mile and an eighth and just say that that was a little bit too far. And just like we were saying, look at her races at a mile to a mile and a 16th. Everything else makes a ton of sense. She's a little versatile too. We know she can pass horses. I actually like that she showed a little more tactical speed. You have to do that in Southern California sometimes. Sure. Yeah. You have to have that. But now in this field, like you said, that's just, it's a, this is a bigger field that is more like a stakes field than probably what you would see in one of those five or six horse fields where uh, now you might have to do things a little bit different than what you want. I think she'll probably be able to get the kind of trip where she sits fourth hoping the same sort of trip you're hoping with free and humble, you know? Yeah. Right, I mean, right in there. You know, the thing is she is going to be able to do whatever. I, I mean, I think yep. that's, you know, if, if they ended up, you know, nobody wants to go to the front, she can, she can stay with that. If they go too fast, she can pull back a little bit. And that's always a good quality to have in your horse. Um, you know, that versatility is, is unmatched. So let's uh, finish up. I've got one more in the eighth race on Saturday at Del Mar. This one is a first level allowance going a mile on the dirt. And I thought the one cowboy Mike will be flashing some speed. You've got will B who's stretching out from sprint races and will be forwardly placed devil be me uh, missed the break last time out. And when speed horses missed the break in the previous race, a lot of times the next race <laughs> they're Set hard smoking, to, make, smoking. to make sure they're going to get the lead or be right up on there that next time. Um, and I also thought hard to figure stretching back out from sprint races will want to be forwardly placed. Lucino also wants to be forwardly placed. And even a horse like cool Papa G is coming out of sprint races and is drawn to the outside. I thought it could set up pretty well for Clouseau in here. I'm looking at Clouseau's last couple. He's another horse who you see speed in mm -hmm. some of them. But his last few, he's shown that he really can pass horses. And I just don't think he's as fast as some of these others that are stretching out from sprint races. I think the tactics with Kent DeSormo, which they were last time out, will be to come from off the pace. He was towards the back of this like bunched up group. He was in a little bit of traffic. He was in between horses. He made a big three wide move. He ends up just missing third. I'm hoping change of tactics for him today for Clouseau, and I'm hoping he gets the trip from off the pace. He's a three-time winner in here also, you know, um, and he's won just in different ways. It, oh, yeah. He's another horse who's been rem remarkably consistent throughout his career. He has just a couple poor performances early on, and other than that, like, he's adapted to races and that have been different. He's won at prices, which I like. That shows me he's not just beating fields that he's – better than and supposed to be beating where he just gets the lead. So yeah, I'm hoping he can get the trip in here. Clouseau 15 to one on the morning line, throw him into is, your pick fours and pick. Is that two. with or without the magnifying glass? Oh, with the magnifying glass, okay. right? I was going to, it's got to be with the, uh, <laughs> is this the stash, right? That really long mustache kind of stroking <laughs> doing the, the mustache stroke the room, Joey. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, 15 to one for me, as we finish up with the Del Mar Friday and Saturday plays Barry, my friend, it has been a pleasure as always. And uh, now 
I really like what Southern California has done over the last couple of years because they're they're playing it smarter now. There's not an incredible horse population. There's not as many horses to try to run as many days. We'll see what's going to happen with Northern California with Golden Gate in the next year or so. Maybe there will be some horses that come down from here and they can maybe they can expand and write some lower like some lower level races, right? And include go. some of the horses there and that and that would be a way to maybe get some extra races and, or maybe an extra racing day. But the reason why I'm saying it is because I think there's a short meet now they run from now till December the third. And then after that, there's a little bit of low sal, but then there's not Santa Anita again till the day after Christmas. So it, it gives these horses a little bit of a quote unquote off season. Yeah, and they're just getting a little bit more time in between. And I think it'll help the fields with this meet over the next few weeks. Cause then I think after Horses won't have a few more weeks in between to run on the grass. So you'll yeah. probably see some of these grass horses try to get a race in before, and then they can take a little bit of a a month, a three weeks or a month off until Santa Anita starts up the day after Christmas. Oh yeah. That, 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 that weekend or that first week at um, Santa Anita when they Woo! come back is going to be awesome. Fantastic. Ray and Gulfstream will be swinging at that time. They'll start not long. So we'll have some days too where we uh, we get into some Gulfstream Park, where Barry can uh, talk about some of the uh, the home field advantage that he oh, has yeah. there. Thank you so much, my friend, for another great weekend. Look forward to chatting with some races with you again. Thanks so much, everyone, for hanging out with us. Don't forget everything you need throughout the Del Mar meet. Head to drf.com. Past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, all throughout that Bing Crosby meet. Good luck this weekend on Friday and Saturday out at Del Mar. Let's talk about some Woodpine for Saturday, November the 11th. Shout out to my mom. Happy birthday to Carol Bacola on November the 11th. My son Milo is also uh, coming up. It's on the 12th, just the day after. So a couple big birthdays. So I, I need to make some money, folks, and we need to look at Woodpine, see if we can. I'll look at races three, five, seven, and 9. There are a couple of graded stakes races on the card. And remember, at Woodbine, they have the guarantee in the early pick five. Talk more about that in a second. First, let's talk about DRF, Daily Racing Forum. Those are the past performances I'm going to take a look at as we look at the best bets throughout the card, horses I like. And I would encourage all of you to sign up for a DRF Bets account because you will get a $200 match deposit bonus, and they'll give you free past performances. Right off the bat, they'll give you 10, 10 credits, 10 cards. Use the promo code STAKES, and every $50 you bet following that, They'll give you credit for another card. So when you're wagering through DRF bets, you won't have to spend money on past performances as uh, we dive on into some of our plays for Saturday. Now, the early pick five starts in race number two. Some days I'll have the pick five previews. This 
particular video, I wanted to make sure we could talk about the stakes races too, which are in races seven and nine. So I'll have a couple plays there, but I'll give you a few in the early pick five sequence to look at. Second race is where it starts $100,000 guarantee on Saturday and Sunday, and you can play for just a 20 cent based wager. My first play though will come in the third race, and I'm going to start with the number two trading bay. This is a mare who's going to get back to six furlongs. And I mean, right off the bat, you can just see it jumps off the page that all four of the victories have come at the six furlong trip. And when you go through this horse's career, she's just better going five and a half and six furlongs. That's where her best races come going a little bit longer than that. It just doesn't seem like she has the same sort of punch. Now, recently she has three races where she's gone seven furlongs or farther. And there's a win at six. And prior to that, she was going seven again. So in her last five races, four times, she's been seven furlongs or more. And now she's cutting back to six. Second start off the short break, she's getting back to the synthetic. So the surface she's better on, the distance where she's better, second off the short little break, and she will be much more fit cutting back. She'll have more of a late punch in here. I think Trading Bay is going to run a big one, six to one on the morning line. If we can get anything... Four and above, I think that's fair value making a win wager on Trading Bay. Let's move to race number five. I didn't think that this particular maiden special weight had any horses that really scared the heck out of me. I think there are some solid horses in here, but nobody with these overwhelming speed figures, no one races that I watched back that I was overwhelmed by a couple that were fine tag teams effort was fine but this horse was your beaten favorite um mississippi has a couple of fine efforts princess on a mission same sort of thing i gravitated back to the three the first time starter here so this one goes out for a barn that's been kind of sneaky good recently with their first time starters if you look at the rachel halden barn when you go to drf formulator you can you know, adjust these statistics however you want. I just want to look at first-time starters, and you can see that this barn is three for 26 in the sample that we have here, which is the last five years. But if you just focus on the recent races, so their last 10 first-time starters, which dates back to about a year and a half because they don't have a ton of horses. That's not a big, uh, a huge sample size. But in the last 10, you have two wins, two seconds, and two-thirds. So this barn has done really well with their recent first-time starters. And as expected, the wins aren't you know, at favored. These horses don't generally get bet a whole ton. The wins came at 5-1 uh, to one and at 10-1, to 10.5-1. to one. So a barn who does a positive job with first-time starters, and I can look at the recent work tab, what I see is a really nice pattern from mid-September on. And maybe like one work or so missed here. And there were a few in August. So we have a steady tab of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive works. And then we can, so steady tab barn. That's done really well with first time starters, especially for sort of an under the radar sneaky barn. Now we get to the pedigree. The dam was unraced. But she's done a really good job with the horses that she's dropped. You've got Western Trouble, who's a five-time winner. You've got Western Tappy, who's a two-time winner. And Western Trouble won second start, second time out. Western Taffy won career debut. 
Uh, Atanabe, one for four, a winner who's also stakes placed. Western Whirl, one for four, stakes placed, one second timeout. Western Ghost, another winner who won second timeout. Scats Rose, another winner who won second timeout. So what does that tell me? You've got one horse that won the debut, four more that won second timeout. There is a ton of precocity in this pedigree. A lot of win early blood. A lot of these horses who have done good work early on in their career. Steady work tab. Barn that's done well recently with first timers. And now a particular horse who has a pedigree that's pretty good with horses showing some young success. And then in this race, nobody overwhelms me. So it feels like a good race for a horse like this to jump up and run well at a price. Oh, it's so funny to be seeing you after so long, girl. Alistair. Yeah, does it, did that one work for you? A little Costello. I know this world is killing you. We will definitely be singing the song if we can get this horse home in like the 8 to 10 to 1 range. As we move along to race number 7 on Saturday at Woodbine, this is the grade 3 Maple Leaf. I thought the one Indy Champagne at a big price fits in here. Really consistent horse overall. And a filly who always shows up, always fires good efforts, has run well against some of the better horses. Look at all of her races. She's always taken a ton of money. She's beautifully bred. And she just hasn't been a win machine. But she's been in the money in 8 of 11. She was not far behind Efrata. She was not far behind Solo Album. And she's going to be a much bigger price. And in this race, going a mile and a quarter, I don't think distance will be any concern for her. She'll save all the ground. And she'll try to come grinding. Speed figure-wise, she's not far off the top horses in here. And in a, the stakes races are awesome on Saturday. Look at this field. In the, it's a huge field. And you're just not going to have any overwhelming favorites in either of them. You've got 13 here and then 14 in the next race, the next graded stakes race that we're going to discuss. Millie Girl will be a major player. She just hasn't done much wrong. And it feels like distance should be no problem for her. She'll make her third start off the bench, and she came running late. The two horses that she beat, they feel like they would be players back again. Solo Album, no doubt, is a player. But as I mentioned, Solo Album beat Indy Champagne in a race where Solo Album went wire to wire. And Indy Champagne is 15-1 to here and is not a horse who I think is that far behind Solo Album. And in this race, in this bigger field where there's more speed, it could set up a lot better for Indy Champagne. Just a very, very challenging betting race. Angelou, who's been close in the last few and is in excellent form right now. You've got Ever Smart, who's in nice form coming in from Kentucky, was up at Santa Rosa prior to that, and then down in Southern California. Ready Lady will need to step up a little bit, but she's been behind Moira a couple times, and we saw Moira go on and really give a nice account of herself again in the Breeders' Cup. When finishing third in the Philly and Mare Turf. Really good couple of stakes races on the Woodbine Saturday card. And I figure in a race like this, take a swing. I have no problem with the five state of mind on the improve. I just thought the win was a little bit soft. And I, I feel like the one's a little more battle tested. Il Malocchio is probably the measuring stick. Let's go with Indy Champagne at a price in here. And then the other... Graded stakes race on Saturday at Woodbine. It's race number nine. It's the grade two best Arabian. This one has a field of 14 major players throughout. 
horses that we've seen that have definitely shown that they can win a race like this and ready to venture in our flash drive spun glass is in good form right now just one at 27 to one right here a, a similar type prep race going six furlongs you've got the couple of big prices in the middle loyalties in excellent form a six-time winner who's a major player in here you have mr Karras, who's really quick and is cutting back a little to a synthetic and moving to the synthetic trying this one for the first time you've got midnight stroll who is coming off that good effort in the Presque Isle Masters. And that was just the first ever synthetic start. But I'm going to go way to the outside. Would love to shop. This three-year-old filly has some talent. She beat the boys two starts back. That was on the grass. And then on October the 1st, she was just caught wide in a small field where they went really slow. Now this is going to be completely different because cutting back in this big field, there should be a much different style of pace for her. And I think that she can just drop back and make one late run. That's why I'm not really worried about the outside draw as much for her. I feel like she's just going to take back and they're going to hope that they can get some speed to run at. You start looking at Midnight Stroll from out here, I think will want to be forwardly placed. You could see races where Awesome Treat has been close up. Collecting Flatter wants to be close early. Artie's Princess does. Mr. Karras, I don't think, wants to be too far out of it. You've got Owen's Tour Guide. Uh, loyalty. All of these horses want to be close or pressing. Time for an angel. Look at all of them. Dolce Suppressa. So many of this field want to be right up on the engine or sitting pretty close to it. Our flash drive wants to be forwardly placed. And I think it could set up really well for this filly with some talent. Three-year-old filly facing older. She beat the boys a couple starts back. Then I think she got a compromise trip on October the 1st. Love to shop. 15 to one. If we can get anything around eight or above, I think that's very fair value on her. That's a look at Woodbine Saturday. Don't forget anytime you need help handicapping the races, head to DRF.com for past performances. And you can get those for free when you wager through DRF bets. Good luck to everyone playing the races at Woodbine on Saturday. And don't forget uh, one more point to add. Woodbine on Saturday will have that mandatory payout in the super high five. That's going to go as the final race on the card. So we'll have more information and more details about that later on in the week. I'm going to put together a little super high five. Um, and I'll, I'll put, I'll play that on, uh, on Saturday where I have a chance to kind of look into the, the last race and really build my ticket a little bit more, but just wanted to remind you mandatory payout, Last race, Saturday, it's already a $409,000 jackpot, and that's going to be Saturday, November the 11th, at the end of this card right here, this card that has some incredibly big fields. So stay tuned for more on that. That's going to go race number 11 on Saturday. Good luck this weekend up at Woodbine. Hopefully we can lead you to some winners at Del Mar and at Woodbine this weekend. That's a big Saturday there at Woodbine. Let us finish up. With this week in wrestling, Chad Cooper joins us to talk about WWE Crown Jewel this last weekend. Monday Night Raw, Tuesday Night NXT, the news, everything happening there. Wednesday Night AEW, this week in wrestling with Koopa Loop. Also finishes up with a couple college football best bets. It's Chad Cooper on this week in wrestling. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's... This week's wrestling recap. 
thunder. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Back on this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. We had a few weeks off. Schedule was a little busy for me. I was Breeders' Cup focused. But honestly, I, behind the scenes, I didn't really want to tell you this kind of stuff. But Chad was demanding more money. Chad was, uh, it was a holdout. Chad told me. Actually, he threatened to break into my home where, where Milo was. And just like stand over it, like swerve. Was going, it was kind of scary stuff, but we were able to work everything out. No CM Punk situations here with AEW, so we are good to go. Koopaloo. Yeah, I'm, we... yeah, I'm not on the CW network. No, uh, no, we're still yeah, here. And there, there's a rumor that I may be moving to the FX network, but <laughs> I, right now, I'm all good. And uh, everything is going very, very well in the world of WWE right now, Coop. It's been a few weeks since we last talked, but WWE just seems like they continue to fire on all cylinders. Things are w- going well on Raw, on SmackDown, and we come off of a Crown Jewel show where, you know, they've really kind of flipped the way they've treated these shows over the last couple of years. Initially, the when they started doing these Saudi Arabia shows, we never we weren't really sure what to think of them. They brought back a lot of the old wrestlers. They had guys coming out of retirement that hadn't wrestled in years. Some of the shows were like throwaway matches. They weren't a lot of times like built up on TV. They weren't based on storylines that were happening. Now it's completely different. Like they've been treating these shows, these crown jewel shows, like major, major premium live events, like bigger than a normal live event, almost closer to a WrestleMania style. Where they have big matches, but what's nice, they're all in the flow of what's going on on the shows. They're built into storylines, and I thought this last uh, Crown Jewel event on Saturday was just another really good one from top to bottom where you go through, and there just wasn't anything bad on the show. Yeah, we're used to, like, what was it, the world's greatest Royal Rumble match. And I then know. We, we got Goldberg. Goldberg. Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, what really didn't make sense, which is kind of like a parade, a circus-type event. Um, Now to, as you said, one of their best uh, PLOs or PLEs that that do really well. And, heck, we even got a – when's the last time we had a pre-show-type match uh, on the kickoff show? See, we haven't had that in a long time, Sammy and J.D., yeah, yeah. So we haven't had that. That was nice to see. And, uh, you know, it started off with a bang, which I thought was the match of the cards. You know, how many times have we said that with Seth Rollins being involved in a match, him and Drew McIntyre? It was kind of old school. It had the classic WWE feel to it. There was, you know, some near falls, a false finish or two toward the end. Good storytelling, but just a solid way to kick off this show. And there were eight matches on the card. Every match went about 10 minutes and on. So there was nothing like squashy. They were all solid, solid matches. And if you go through every one, every character that was on the show, every wrestler that was in the match, in a match, Sammy, JD, Seth, Drew, Rhea, Nia, Raquel, Shayna, Zoe, Solo, Cena, 
Logan Paul, Rey Mysterio, EO Sky, Bianca Belair. We even saw, uh, saw Kyrie Sane show up at the end of that match. Cody Rhodes, Damian Priest, Roman Reigns, LA Knight. Every, <laughs> every person that I mention, the reason why I'm just naming them off is because if you individually took each of them, every one of them has a story right now, has something going on, and they're all in a very good place like they all of their characters have like a motivation have a reasoning like everyone has something going on none of this stuff was just throw away put on this show and that's just what we're getting with with wwe right now every character everybody has a purpose everybody's like path is being built slowly some better than others right not every one of them is a home run right now, but everyone has a purpose. Everyone has something going on and was built coming into this show and then coming out of the show on Monday Night Raw. That's what I want from my wrestling. And I will give AEW credit there. I think you can feel a shift in the way they've been trying to do their shows, Chad, the last couple of weeks to where it's not going to hit a home run with everybody right away. They're trying to put more storyline into their wrestling now too, which is what we've, we all want JR, who's the most old school wrestler, Jim Ross, the most old school wrestling announcer. He's always said that it's all about like personal issues and personal feuds and then getting in the ring. And now that's what we're getting in WWE so much from top to bottom. I just care a lot more about what's happening. Yeah, it's, um, you know, when you when you look at WWE, they've just been absolutely on fire. And they have some contract situations coming up. And, of course, everyone's seen the headlines recently of NXT uh, moving over to the CW Network. And then today it was it was leaked out that FX may be the new home of Raw in 2024 and 2025. And, and now is the time for them to strike. I mean, this is what they built things up for is to get uh, their bang for their buck. And, you, you know, WWE since Triple H has really taken the controls over this thing, and there were a lot of people concerned about the sell of the company. Um, would this happen? Would that happen? Well, I, we're into the sell now far enough to see that uh, things are really moving well. And from top to bottom, you know, um, there's a purpose. Like you said, you know, you may not like this superstar. You may not like that one. You may like this one. may not like this match. But it's it does seem like WWE puts – their workers, their roster in a certain situation to be in to make it make them more involved or at least give them a chance, even though if the segment or the match falls flat um, and heading into an, a big event like you had last weekend uh, on Saturday, which is, of course, during the day. And we're in the middle of I mean, we're in the second half of college football now here. We're already talking about conference championships and you look on social media and it's dominating. It's trending number one on X, on Instagram, on Facebook. They're just doing a really, really good job. And, you know, it, it it's after every big event. We're like, okay, you know, why is this happening? You know, why isn't this happening? And it just seems like they continue to put pieces of the puzzles in the right places. And as of right now, that's that's why WWE has just been so strong over the last several months, man. They they just continue to uh, – even their Raws have gotten better. Look, you and I both Every, were in a I know. for a long time that SmackDown was the better of the two shows. And it seems like over the last couple of months, I don't know if you can really say that anymore because Raw is really, really good. Yes, yeah, three hours, and you get a little tired there at the end. But it's just been really, really good. And 
and going into Crown Jewel was good, and coming out of it was good. It was just no, just nothing was bad. Like no, the, they built hey, well. Look, the women's match, which you think, okay, this is probably going to be your ordinary women's. Look, they all got their 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 they all got their finishers in right. Um, it was a really solid match. There was nothing really to complain about uh, on Saturday at Crown Jewel. No, there uh, it was good from top to bottom. It really was. We. LA, it was a good moment for LA Knight in a, oh, yeah. in a main event yeah. match. He proved he can go and he can put on a main event type match. He doesn't lose anything in defeat there. And Logan, you know, just some of the, the highlights coming out of Crown Jewel. We've got Seth continuing on with the title, uh, like a little weakened. We'll talk about Monday Night Raw for a moment. We've got Rhea, you know, coming out of the women's championship. The I guess the only thing about WWE, which is it's it's a, I guess a pro, it's a good problem to have. They've built some of their champions so strong, right? With Roman, with Rhea, with Gunther. Yeah. That with some of them, they feel they just feel like there are so few people that are on their level that you could legitimately see defeating them. That that would be the only problem. I mean, I think they even did a good job building up Naya and Raquel and Shayna And they've done a good job with Zoe But Rhea feels like she's on such a, a Different level There's For me with Rhea I think the only time I really feel like there's a chance That she may lose is if it's A Bianca, like a Becky Or maybe a Charlotte Sure, sure You know, and, yeah, and look, it, it, They've made them such good And they've built them up so good It's just, you know It's a double-edged sword, lose. right? It's like you want right. these strong champions, but then at the same po- t- the same time, like we we don't we don't want our champions losing, right? I, we talk about all that time. I hate getting pinned, like seeing the champion get pinned in like a non-title match. So I'm okay with it in like a tag match sometimes to set well, up. Well, I can't wait to hear your assessment of MJF getting beat last week. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about that. Like there, it's weird with MJF right now because they've got so much they're doing. I sort of like that. They're, they're kind of building the show around him more, but they're yeah. trying to do so much, much. Yeah, with him much. that it's like, ah, it feels just like a, a little too heavy. Um, but now we find out that the looks like the actors and the writer strikes are both going to be over. Um, I think just as you and I are recording on Thursday, I think the actors strike is is now they've come to a conclusion. So John Cena should be finishing up his time with WWE and he got beat clean by solo. And you sort of wonder now with Cena, if he goes away for a while Comes back, has another match or two, and that's kind of it. Do they do they kind of lean into this with a storyline? But I will say, I think the last eight weeks or a couple months of John Cena being around, he didn't. It's not like Cena is going to give you the five star stuff in the ring anymore. I thought they did a really good job of using him to help get LA Knight over even more, and then to also get Solo over right here. This. It didn't really work earlier in the year with Austin Theory like we had hoped, but right, right. But it sure looks like it worked this year. I mean, at the end of the year with both LA Knight and I think with Solo, those guys being in the ring and being around Cena, they feel elevated now versus where they were a couple months ago. Who would have thought John Cena would be the one putting over talent? I mean, whether you think he's a five-star wrestler in the ring, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore of WWE of all time for just 
everything that he's started. You talk about starting. Well, I, from I think awesome. if you're ta- well, and if you're talking about just WWE, right? And yeah, we're not talking yeah. about yeah. the pro wrestling. We're not yes, talking about talking NWA, WWE. WCW. Yeah, it's no. the only two WWE. that you can start with are Hogan and Cena. Sure. And maybe, and maybe you can say Bruno, honestly, sure. If, sure. if you want yeah. to, and and then probably Austin. But like other than but other than that, like Flair and like even a guy like The Rock, they their shelf life wasn't even close to the length of a Cena no. and a Hogan of being on top and doing no. what they did like week in, week out, where Hogan was from 83 to 93, 92, right? Yeah, at least Hogan had some, you know, he had the AWA push. And look, there was there was no internet or, you know, news agencies that we could rely on and look on our phones back in the 80s and stuff to see what Hogan was doing. But his name was out there. You know, he was around. But just WWE, Mount Rushmore, I mean, Cena's there. And <laughs> he could it, be... Yeah. He, he could be on uh, number one on that list. You're right. And, he to, could. and to see him come back and do this and just take a, a pinfall from, from look, 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 talk about a time frame that let's talk about solo uh, for a minute. I mean, this guy, what within the last year was debuting on NXT. He had just, you know, he'd just been signed. He was in the performance center or whatever. And, I mean, he has a run in NXT, but there was really no championships held, right? Unless I'm forgetting something. Well, no, remember they stripped him. Remember, did he win the the NXT, the North American title, right? And didn't he, like, defend it one time on SmackDown even? I think Maybe so. That's why I don't remember because it was so quick. Yeah, it was really – because remember, his character, the thing that was a little bit weird about this, he was a babyface. Yeah. On NXT, and he was like sort of how the Usos used to be, kind of like he can talk a little bit. I think people yeah. forget that he can actually go on the mic, and he's got he's got it. You know, when we when you say it, whatever that it is, and sure. when when guys have it, like Brian Danielson, for example, he can be a heel fine, and he'll do a really good job when he's a heel. But he's so much better when you're cheering him and you're he's the baby face and everybody gets behind him. But like Solo is sort of like that right now in that he's doing such a good job with this. I think people forget what he was like before in NXT. This dude's going to be a big baby face one day. Massive baby face because he's just such a badass that people are going to get behind him going in the ring and Simone spiking people. And just he's going to just kind of have some of that Uso swag to him that, man, I think... He like I've been so impressed with him. I really have. This was a good, good couple months for Solo, and with Roman, <clears throat> with Roman taking a back seat, it really has elevated Solo. I think the yeah. one guy, like I think Jimmy, is sort of floundered a little bit. You know, I don't, and I don't like Jay on Raw. I think has been doing fine. He's kind of got his own thing now. He was already involved with Cody and the tag stuff, and like he's. Jimmy kind of feels like he's floundering, like he's not he he just doesn't feel like he's on the level with the rest of of everybody quite yet. And I don't know why that was, but man, solo, shout out to him because he's he he's on the upswing. And uh, Chad, you got to cover your eyes because I think Logan Paul just posted <laughs> a picture of his uh of the the U.S. title right around his dong. You know, so be careful because you might you might see something. Peeking out around the back, and <laughs> Logan Paul is just doing exactly what WWE wanted from him. 
we we wondered at the beginning why he was so adamant on being a baby face because damn when he plays the heel and leans into this stuff he's just he he gets it he understands it and he was made for pro wrestling uh yeah i mean who again who would have thought i mean wwe has been you know they've been bringing uh different athletes i mean pro pro wrestling in, in as a whole has been doing this, you know, dating back to what WrestleMania one, two, Mr. T, you know, and Hogan versus Piper, uh, was that Piper Norton that were in the main event. Yep. Um, yeah, we had a tag, you know, Piper and Orndorff and Orton was yeah, in Orndorff, the, yeah. that was it. Yeah. So Orndorff was they, the we, three of them. They, they, we've been crossing over for, for since the, you know, for decades now uh, with professional wrestling. And WWE has brought in a lot of interesting characters. WCW, everyone's been accused of doing this. From the Dennis Rodmans, you name it. Uh, From the world champions like David Arquette, they've just done it. But I tell you what, over the last couple of years, WWE have picked two people who you wouldn't think um, would turn out to be this way. Number one, Bad Bunny. No idea this guy was capable of doing anything what he he's done, and what Logan Paul has been able to do. Holy cow, man! I, I mean, it, we're in twenty twenty three. Do you think? Uh, did you ever? Did you have on the bingo card that you'd be talking about Logan Paul and and Rey Mysterio? You know, uh, tearing the roof off at, at Crown Jewel? No, well, absolutely not. And man, I gotta say, like. A year and a half ago, a couple years ago, Ray was done. I mean, yeah, Ray looked yeah. done, and as far as being relevant on people caring about his matches and like his runs and stuff, everybody would always cheer when Ray came out, but nobody really ever was expecting him to win matches, to be involved in feuds. It was like, oh, here's Ray Mysterio. We were all expecting there to be something with his son, an angle at some point, and a WrestleMania match, and that was that. But right now, he's been relevant again with LWO. He still can go in the ring. And just like John Cena, you've got two guys in in back-to-back matches on this show. John Cena and Rey Mysterio putting over Logan Paul and Solo Sokoa. Like two all-time legends, two all-time greats helping to make guys that are going to be around now for the next five to ten years. That's, That's what wrestling's supposed to be right there. Exactly it. You use that that um, notoriety and you use that importance that a guy like a John Cena and a Rey Mysterio have, and you give the rub to Logan Paul and Solo Sokoa, and that's what we got here. Um, we'll see Kyrie Sane showing back up, I think, on Friday this uh, on SmackDown this week, so we'll have a little more to discuss about that. But now that women's – like she just sort of freshens everything up. With Kyrie in the mix there, what does that do to Bailey's relationship with EO? You have Bianca, you have Charlotte also in the mix there. So that feels like there's a lot going on in the women's division. And then we we know they're going to get ready to pull the trigger on, on Cody for his build to WrestleMania. But for right now, it's about war games. And uh, <laughs> that's sort of where we are on Monday Night Raw. So, I I, mean, I got to say, as a fan of LA Night, Chad, you and I were a little concerned at like a, at a spot or two in the year where it was like, uh oh. But then when he just kept when they kept putting him on TV repeatedly, I think we both stopped stopped worrying. Even though 
he wasn't winning the U.S. title like we thought, or maybe he wasn't winning the Money in the Bank like we thought. The, for L.A. Knight, it's arguably been even better than if those things were would have happened. He's been made feel like he was the top babyface or one of the top babyfaces on you know on the both sides. He had a fun feud with Miz in the middle of this, and he's been able to share time in the ring with Cena. Like in one year, this guy's been in the ring with Undertaker. Bray Wyatt, rest in peace. John Cena. Um, we've seen him now with Roman Reigns. Like they, they know what they have with LA Knight. That doesn't mean he's supposed to win every match or he has to go over Roman Reigns, but they're using him now like they should be using a top guy. Yeah, and, and we all want LA the best for LA Knight. I, I think there's very few on the I'm not an LA. Fan. LA Knight fan list. Uh, there's just really not. Um, and I, I think he's been able to weather the early storm of having to go through a couple of things. And because you never know when a crowd's going to turn on you, you just never know. I, you know, the, the other part thing about it is, is what, what if he is champion? What uh, do we care as, as much, much for yeah. him? You know? Um, so, you know, they obviously have really, really big plans. The guy just headlined Crown Jewel. Can I? And, uh, can I book? Can I book for a sec? Yeah, let's book. I think that game. I think the end game for him is he he beats Logan Paul at WrestleMania for their U.S. title. I could see that, and I would be a hundred percent for that because it, it really uh, you you talk about you know must have matches, right? We're we're not. I, I you and I have both been saying this for a while. We're not going to get the Rock and Roman. This this is just something probably. Uh, well, especially like, now, if the writers, uh, the, the, the actors, and stuff are coming over, back, right? Cena, Cena's going to be gone. Uh, who knows? We we may, but it just doesn't. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of interest of Rock coming back and even doing that. And I have no inside knowledge. Just just if he did, he would have. We would have already had some hints and already seen some Rock appearances. And doing some things, but L.A. Knight and Logan Knight or and Logan Paul would be phenomenal at WrestleMania. I think that Especially would be night one. Yeah, I think that would be great for the both of them. You can get that can be sort of L.A. Knight winning a big championship. He can be the U.S. title, the champ, because I could see him coming out and just with that title talking. He could have funny segments. He could do something about the stuff that he loves about the U.S. Or then as a heel, the stuff that he yeah. hates about the the U.S. You know, there could just be. I think he could do some really good things with that. And that's sort of like we're we're we we can all understand that like maybe he is a world title guy one day, but that would be a really good spot for him. Like he doesn't have to be you don't not everybody can be the number one champion of the company all the time. And he might be and he might not be, but I feel really good about a guy who's a guy I'm a fan of now that I know that the company understands the fans are still behind him. He's been put now in a few big matches and he hasn't had bad matches or botched it, or he hasn't looked like he doesn't belong. That was my only thing that I was sort of worried about. It's because I've seen him perform well in big moments in other places, but until you see it here on the WWE stage, you still want to make sure, can he go 15, 20 minutes with a guy like Roman Reigns? I think David Shoemaker, the masked man who writes and does podcasts and stuff, he, he used to call it the, like the Randy Orton test that you never really know if any of these guys belong 
until they stand across from Randy Orton in the ring. And it's sort of, and then it's like, does the, do they size up well? And sometimes they don't even have to be like on the same height, but like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, they, they're smaller, but there's like a presence to them. You know, when they're standing there, they don't look out of place. And I just, I don't feel like LA Knight's out of place right now. I think he's, he belongs. We, we divert, we averted, uh, disaster, right? With the maximum model group. That oh my was, gosh. I mean, oh look, my God. <laughs> that, that was, wow. Uh, I can't, I, mean, I good pull on that one. It was almost out of my brain. You know, I well, mean, and think, it, of, think it, yeah. of her and Maxine, both how good they've done the two of them in totally in, separate ways in yeah. opposite, opposite directions. And, and you know, the alpha Academy has just been phenomenal. The, they did this little thing on the, the other day. Yeah, oh my gosh. Just, the dancing. With, yeah, uh, with Otis, yeah. I was Otis cracked. I watched it, it like 50 times because yeah. it was, made me laugh every time I saw Otis doing that thing. Oh but my yeah, you, you, we, we go from L.A. Knight being, you know, it on NXT to coming up to the main roster and not even being a wrestler. He was being a manager of a tag team that were basically jobbers. And uh, you, you'd have to watch main event, which I don't watch. And but we avoided a major disaster because that could have been uh, we're releasing L.A. Knight uh, and he ends up who knows where. And we just go back to being, hey, you know, remember Eli, uh, Eli Drake? Drake, yeah, Eli Drake just and as we've seen it with many and I, I pull it, you know, Cesaro, look at Cesaro. He, he's just become. Keith Lee. Yeah, Keith Lee. So. I, we we avoided major disaster there, and now he's as hot as you can be. And I think they have some special things for him. And if it is Logan Paul, I sign me up because he's gonna be. He's not. I don't think he should win unless you're gonna have him win the other. Because I don't. He shouldn't beat Roman Reigns. That's my way of putting it. Right. I don't think the story is for no, LA Knight work. to beat Roman no. Reigns. I don't have a problem if you want to put a different title on LA Knight and we can build him to a story with him. But I think Cody should be the guy to beat Roman because that's the story they've wanted to tell if that's where they go. But, man, if he's in the Royal Rumble, he's got to be one of the final four guys, LA Knight. Oh, yeah. You know, because that crowd is going to want to get behind him. Just with our heart, right? Oh, just, just, just to mess with us, they have to do it, yeah. right? They have to keep him in, like have him in there at number two. And go the whole way. And it looked like he's going to be eliminated a bunch here and there. And he just holds on. And then he's there in the final four. I, You got to do that. Because every time he gets close, the crowd will be, oh, no. So it's it'll be fun right now with uh, with LA Knight. As we move over to Raw, let's talk about a few things that we, uh, we missed on Monday Night Raw. They gave Sami Zayn a shot. Coming off of a win of the Judgment Day, it made sense. And what I like is that Sammy was trying to be the good guy and say, hey, look, I know you're banged up. I'm not going to take advantage of you right now. And Seth just said, dude, we're all banged up, Sammy. You and I, the kind of wrestlers we are, we're always going to be injured. Are, are You're 100% right now? No, but we're always going to give 100% with our heart. It was like a, I got a little tear. It was like <laughs> the most genuine baby face promo. And now Seth, I mean, Sammy even – like I think it's been a good few weeks for, again for Sammy without Kevin, uh, without KO, just to kind of yeah. reestablish Sammy again, being sort of up again towards the top. But I I have always been pushing the Seth Rollins bandwagon, right? I was always like Seth's got to be the guy. Seth's got to be the guy. This is 
some of the best work he's done on the microphone just being a like a regular person saying things that a normal person would say i everything these two guys said it's like oh yeah that makes sense that's what normal people would say not like a weird wrestling character and i just appreciated it i think seth is doing really well right now you know and what they've done with seth is they've made him this fighting champion to where if he does lose at any moment They've built it to where it's like, oh, you know, he's had so many of these defenses. He keeps being willing to defend anytime, anywhere. He's banged up. He's got this back injury. Like they built that, they they put that in, but he keeps winning, and you can understand why he does. It just, I like what they're doing with Seth right now. I really do, and I thought it was a good night for him. I thought the match with him and Sammy was really good, and this that's this is sort of a way to like. If you're an AEW fan and you complain about WWE and they're like, oh, they're having Sami Zayn versus Seth Rollins for the title. Like that's <laughs> that's a match that those people go like, hmm, I might flip over for a little bit, even the and most WWE haters, you know, Sami Zayn came into the ring at with 30 minutes uh, left in the show. And they worked, I think, a 20, 21, 22 minute match. It's and like we have that match and uh, Alpha Academy versus the Creeds both yeah. on Raw. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, you know, we we haven't seen many 20 30 minute main events uh, on TV on the WWE side. Um, the match was was really really good. I don't think we ever thought that Sami Zayn was going to beat Seth Rollins, but it's still there. You don't know, you know, um, what's going to happen, especially, you know, after, you know, his title defense against Drew McIntyre over the weekend at Crown Jewel, that he comes back, the, you know, two days later and he's defending the title. And I think this is what this was for people. Maybe uh, you know, there was some questioning why Triple H put this title on Seth Rollins. Oh, this is the reason why um, he, he keeps he keeps having the match of the night and he's hot. His promos are on point. Um, I, I don't know what's next here. Um, for Seth, th- there's a few ways they could go here. Um, but in the meantime, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's really fun. You know, you know, Cody Rose gets involved, right? It looks like we're going to go with the old school summer or excuse me, the old school Survivor Series, which I mm-hmm. think it's going to set up perfect. Uh, for these two groups, uh, and maybe we get a contender uh, out of that match. But just fantastic work with Seth Rollins. Yep, really like what they've been doing with him. We uh, had the Judgment Day pick up a win over Kofi and Xavier, so they just wanted to get Damian and Finn looking uh, strong and continuing on. And now they're building up a lot of tag team challengers. As you know, we bring in... The the creeds, we've got DIY also who who come in and that oh that was the match so we had the creeds versus DIY but what they did they had a way to make DIY ke- uh, keep strong even in defeat because of the, the Imperium distracting so these sure. guys go thirteen minutes the Creed brothers get the win but uh, DIY. Has the distracted finish, so we're not. It's not like they lose clean, and they've got something going on with Imperium. So now all of a sudden, you throw DIY in the mix, you throw the Creed brothers in the mix. Like this really does strengthen your tag division quite a bit with just those two teams here. And you know the fact that in the last few weeks they've given both of these teams 
a lot of TV time building them up. We've seen segments. We saw them signing the contracts. We saw DIY have a little bit of a sit-down interview. And then, most importantly, with these teams, they need to be wrestling often on TV. That's how the Creeds and that's how Gargano and Ciampa are going to get over Coop, by letting them wrestle over and over. They're corny guys. They've got sort of like likable personalities, but they're not guys that are going to just overwhelm you on the microphones. Any of them. No. And, uh, you know, this is for as good as the ratings have been and getting stronger and stronger with NXT, you know, week in and week out. This is the first time for a lot of people to be introduced to the Creed brothers and Ivy Nile. And you want a way to get win them over with the WWE universe. It's not just continuing to do uh, promos and vignettes and they're coming to Raw, they're coming to SmackDown type deal. What do you do? You put them on TV, you put them in matches. You 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 let the world see them work. I think it's going to be an interesting build here with them. Um, as you and I both know about the Creed brothers, uh, they're not, they're very unorthodox. The, what, what they do in the ring, and I think that really is uh, a, a big positive for them so they don't get caught in the well they're just another WWE I completely agree game. they stand out they do and I think they're building them some wins and I think they're going to be thrusted here pretty soon and be a WWE tag team title uh, contender match uh, here pretty soon I, I do too and I think they should be I like it they just it feels fresh I I like what they did with the with Tazawa it was a great week for Tazawa it's been a great <laughs> couple weeks for him he gets a match against Nakamura. They let Nakamura have an easy win. There were a couple spots where Nakam- where they just showed what Tazawa can do. And then the next night, he wrestles for the Heritage Cup against Noem Dar, and he has a fun match there. So Tazawa, I know a lot of people that watched Tazawa before, and he was this incredible wrestler and an in- in- technician in the ring. I I don't know this for a fact. I could be wrong. He sure feels like he's enjoying what he's doing and having a good time. Sure. And and it it reminds me a little bit of guys like R-Truth and Santino who, sure, they could they could be a more serious character, but would they stand out if they did? If yeah, if, uh, if he it, was just a little more serious, he would just be like everyone every other wrestler that is a good wrestler. But at, at least here he's on TV a lot. He gets to do this this segment. Like this is going to be a part of his career. I think he remembers fondly these couple years where he was this comedy guy because he had other sections of his career where he got to be cruiserweight champion and great in ring wrestler. Maybe he's never going to be the main event of WrestleMania, and it's probably because of his size, and it's probably because. He can't, you know, cut promos, but he, I, I never, I'm never the type of person who's like, oh my gosh, look, they're being made a joke of on national TV where millions of people are watching them and they're getting paid millions of dollars. And like, I, I think Tazala's had a really good couple of weeks, man. And, and I, I'm sure he loves what he's doing with the Alpha Academy right now. Oh, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm, I, 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 I'm absolutely. Me too. I, I think they play up to his personality. You know, uh, I don't know. We've been able to see some serious stuff with him in NXT, and I think that's why they let him work those NXT matches. And I'm not, you know me, you, where I stand with NXT. I, it's my favorite two hours of wrestling every week. It just, I, 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 I still to this day, I, I say that. If I had to pick one, it seems like I've grown up more 
uh, as a wrestling fan over the last couple of years and been through the hardships uh, with the black and gold brand, the, the WWE NXT 2.0, Nickelodeon, paint crap until now. Um, I, I just find it, uh, it's just more intriguing to me. But nonetheless, I, I think they let him be serious in the ring. And then on Raw, I think you get the comedy side of things. But at the end of the day, you still have to have some of that. It is world wrestling entertainment. We don't see, hear those three words very often, but that's what the WWE means. And I think you're getting that with him. And yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be involved in, in all these skits? They're on TV every week. They get matches. Yeah, he it was a he has squash with Shinsuke. Who cares? Who cares? When, when I I kind of really started to understand this when I would hear William Regal talk about it, and he would talk about how you know he was the man's man, you know, and oh, they yeah. they made he was a really serious He's badass wrestler before coming in, and then they made him this like goofy gimmick. And he came over, and when he was Commissioner Regal and doing the stuff with Tajiri and Jericho was, like, getting under his skin, he loved it. He talked about how playing comedy was, like, his favorite thing in wrestling and being able to play a character. Uh, Patterson and Briscoe, they loved getting in the – being the Stooges. Like, Pat Patterson was, like, the first Intercontinental Champion. He was a prestigious wrestler. The Briscoe brothers were, like, badasses. And they both talk about some of their biggest, their favorite memories are being the Stooges with an evening in an evening gown match. They were dressed up and they had to wrestle in an evening gown match, you know, and um, it's all about time and place, you know? Yeah. And look, hey, do you want to be a guy that, I mean, of course you want to be employed by the best of the best WWE. Do you want to be a guy that works house shows and yeah, you'll be thrown every now and then we'll throw you a bone. Uh, you may get to work main event, or would you like to morph into something like this and be involved every week on that? Look, if he didn't like what he was doing, you could tell in his performance. I completely agree. And then we wouldn't have to worry about it because he would be yanked. So, you know, that that's the way I look at it. You know, it looks like he's having a ball. I I think the segments are fun, too. And because they're never too long, they're never no, like and Maxine is doing a fantastic job too. It's, there's a, there's a place for it. It's like a mid card angle, and that's how it's treated. And it's everybody has a good time with it, and that's what their role is right now. Everybody wants, like you said, everybody can't be the star of the show all the time. But if you want to be on the show and if you want to be a good team player, sometimes you're playing, sometimes you're batting eighth in the lineup and you're laying the bunt down, but you're doing what you're doing the best in your role, right? Like that's like be an all star in your role. Uh, that's yep. what Tazawa has been. Uh, he's done a really good job. We had a four way match for the IC, uh, number one contender for the IC championship. I just sort of love the the different combinations in this match. This, this was a match that I don't think anyone ever thought we would have got to see. I loved almost all of the match. The finish was a little clunky. It, it Like, the way they were trying to do it, it, you could see what they were trying to do. Then they had to show it again, and Cole was a little confused. Did Ricochet kick out? Did he not? What happened? So, they it, it was just a little clunky in the finish, but I thought... Everybody did good. 
they've got this quasi babyface run going for the Miz right now, which it's they, just, it's crazy. He could they could turn it on and off with him. Look, we kind of felt that on Saturday, right? Yeah, Miz TV, uh, and he got him over with the crowd, and we kind of thought, okay, he's just playing up to the to the Saudi crowd, right? And then here's what, what Ivar just beating the brakes off of him, and Ivar getting some heat, and Miz was getting some some love here, so. It just shows you, again, the versatility of The Miz, what they can do with this guy. Good stuff. And The Miz ends up getting the victory here. And uh, they will have The Miz as the, – the Miz was announced as your number one contender. But then I believe they they follow this up by saying they're going to have a match next week to confirm. But I believe your, The Miz will be uh, – will end up getting that opportunity at Survivor Series. They were sort of building to that. Because the Miz has been one of the longer reigning IC champs, one of the more decorated IC champs of all time. It only makes sense that for Gunther, you you know get a guy like the Miz on the, on the resume. Or hey, if you have plans for Gunther, as maybe Gunther is the guy that you're gonna have go beat Seth Rollins or something like that, and you yeah. want to get the title off of him, the Miz is always that safe guy who you could put it on until you have your next plan. Right, you throw it on the Miz for a little while, for a month until you have L.A. Knight or whoever else come come win it or do do whatever. So, sure. um, they're they're set up really well with the Miz, and the Miz re- likes to remind people and show people that he's better in the ring than they give him credit for too. You could see that yeah. he's kind of going through that right now. And he gets a match with Ivar, I think, next week. I think they yeah. announced it either later that show or, or because of the double. Yeah. yeah, and so they sort of leaned into the fact that there was a double pin. And that they're going to give them Ivar is going to get the chance against the Miz And they will wrestle for that that spot For the number one contender We then had the Creed Brothers match Versus DIY, we already spoke a lot about that um, Creed Brothers Get the win after 13 minutes and With the cheap ending because Kaiser Ends up costing DIY So the DIY Has a storyline, Creed Brothers Look strong, I think this was a good match for both of these guys, Chad, just getting them on TV for this amount of time. And it wasn't yeah. like we've seen Gargano sometimes be put in places where it's like they had him just lose like that, just clean. And, and they they haven't been doing that with him recently now since they brought him back. And I think that's key. Yeah, it's a good showing by both. Uh, I, I'm definitely OK with this. Um, I, I, I it's, We're not going to write write off uh, them. Uh, anytime soon I think they're in the mix of things And again I like how you brought up the tag team situation Earlier I think this, uh, that's something that's uh, That's You have so many guys and girls On this roster that have been doing So well on both shows Mondays and Fridays That sometimes you kind of forget I mean you kind of forget about the New Day You know you kind of forget about this tag team and I think it's a good showing to bring these guys back out, even though they they lose, but you're in a meaningful match. I, I think there's something set up for a lot of these teams over the next couple of weeks. I'm okay with them losing in this spot here. Well, it looks like we're going to have maybe a little Nia and Becky yeah. feud, which yeah. I'm game. I think, I'm Becky, game. I think Becky's dealing with an injury. Um, I keep hearing things. Yeah, she lost the NXT title, um, but there was a reason why that, that she wasn't, I don't think, in the Battle Royal, um, or not the Battle Royal, the, uh, did we have a four-person this past Monday with the women, uh, the one that Zoe... No, this was the Battle Royal. Uh, yeah, yeah, this was the Battle yeah. Royal. Yeah, so yeah, it was the Battle Royal. 
Um, I, 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 I think she may be banged up a little bit. Um, but I would definitely like to see Nia and, and, and Becky again. You don't have to have the title to be in a, to be in a good spot. Uh, again, it just shows you what they think about uh, Becky and Nia. So I, I, I think you'd get a lot of heat. And uh, what did you think about Zoe being the person that, that advanced? I thought it was really odd that Nikki Cross is just kind of standing there and everybody's just fighting around her, right? It was very bizarre. But I like her character. I, I'd like to see where this goes. Yeah, and I think Zoe's a good choice if you're for just someone who you want to have a strong match. That I you're think you're going to have a really good match between them two. And you're really just you're, and Zoe's been that for a while. She was that at NXT to where she's a really good opponent to choose for someone who you want to have a good match. Uh, you're just not necessarily ready for the champ to lose that title quite yet. And I think that's that's where we are with Rhea. But between Zoe, what they've done recently with Shayna, with Nia, now Becky even feels so much better than where she was couple months ago like when she was involved with the Trish stuff and they weren't they didn't really know how to finish that or what to do there she just feels a lot more like Becky again um coming off of this run with the NXT championship I think it did a lot of good for her actually just defending it repeatedly and um getting some of the like just getting some of the the bad stories from before kind of off now Zoe and Rhea will have that match at Survivor Series for the women's championship and I think it's better doing this than doing the like the brand versus brand stuff that they were yeah, doing the last I few agree. years. It's I like, agree. especially because you know, it was obvious who was going to win several of the matches, right? Yeah, and it just it, it was harder to build it, them up. It was one would have to go on one show, and then the you kind of have to one. pause every yeah. other storyline that's yeah. going on the Good other call. shows, and it just this is better. I think what the what they're doing right now. Uh, so coming up this week on Raw, we got Ivar versus the Miz, Tegan Knox versus Piper Niven. Otis versus Nakamura, Judgment Day versus Cody and Jay, and uh, a, a pretty fun show set up. Main event was uh, Seth Rollins versus Sami Zayn. That was a very good one. And then after the match, um, we had the uh, the handshake, and then the brawl broke out. Here comes Priest. Cody Rhodes comes out for the save. Uh, McDonough, Balor, Mysterio all come out, attack Zayn. Um, Rollins and Jay are out there So we just get Basically what happens at the end of a- Every AEW match was happening uh, Right there <laughs> on WWE Raw But it, it did have a purpose It was leading to something And uh, we had Adam Pierce Come out and say that he was sick of all the games And now They're going to have war games So they could do four on four Or they could have a situation where Maybe they add Someone and do five on five There will be a whole bunch of speculation Because it's going to be in Chicago That CM Punk would be someone to show up But we could even see something like Kevin Owens from Smackdown You know come back over and help this side We could see them getting Drew A Drew McIntyre who has Been sort of you know a, a Tweener right now we don't know what Drew is going to do I, I think it sets it up well We were sort of expecting this and I think it is good use of everyone um, I'm pretty pumped for the build to Survivor Series now with uh, with War Games. Yeah, it's always been one of my favorite pay per views. It's it's kind of lost its its luster as you mentioned over the last couple of years, and it just seems like uh, the matches just didn't feel important, even though they had credible superstars in the actual match. This I think we're going to get an actual really solid build here, and we are. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a, again another really good PLE. Um, 
Triple H keeps raising the bar, you know, with these events. And I, I think Survivor Series is, is no different. I'm looking forward to it. Coop, let's get over to NXT. So NXT had a kind of story throughout where we were having Trick and Carmelo discuss what has been going on between the two of them. So Trick Williams got attacked when he was supposed to be in a number one contenders match a few weeks ago. And NXT does a great job with these who attacked Trick, you know, story, who attacked this person. It makes sense if it was Carmelo, because it would take Trick out of the scenario. But Trick doesn't know who it was. And so that's something we're going to be playing in on. These two guys were talking and they were interrupted by Lexus King. And I like that they just kind of flung him in to a real important spot right in the middle of these two guys. So, yeah, I think it's a very interesting story that they're telling. And what's nice is that they can turn Carmelo heel if they want, or they could very easily say it was someone like Wesley who just showed back up and is acting all like smiley and baby facey and you know, it it could be anyone that they want to have be, you know, a, a major player here. And I'm very intrigued by this. And I think it's a good a, a good part and a maiden piece now for Carmelo and Trick to have something to do and uh, a feud sort of with each other. So what? how are you booking it? I think I, I would book it to where it's not Carmelo. And for a while, they think it is. And they end up finding out that it was you know, yeah. a Wes, I would Wesley or whoever the next guy they want to bring in as, you know, a, a big deal. So I, I would say to not do it because I eventually want these guys to stay together and move up to the main roster together. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they're, I, I like them as a pair, even though I think uh, Hayes is, is solid. I think you jump the shark too early with them if you have them turn on each other. Completely but agree. That, if they do, then they're not moving up together, I wouldn't assume. So uh, I, I definitely don't want to see them split up and one be heel, one be face. But I do like the tension here. It makes for uh, yeah, the tension's good for a while, for yeah. a couple months, to where sure. even if they have a match, to where I don't want someone to just be full heel though. I I want them to be oh, still sure. a package yeah. together because the two of them together really really work. And we actually opened up with the Heritage Cup match, Noam Dar. Versus Tazawa So our guy Tazawa continued on with his good week Noam Dar gets the win It was a distraction finish And great use of Tazawa Where he's able to be a little more serious here um, And he's able to show a little bit more What he can do in the ring But Noam Dar Continues to get the victory here Um, We had uh, Mick Foley pop up He announced the NXT Iron Survivor Challenge qualifying matches And you and I have not talked since Lyra Valkyria got the win. What'd you think about them letting Lyra beat Becky? And what do you think about Lyra now as your new NXT women's champion? Man, for it took me a little bit. Like I said, you know, I'm I'm an NXT mark. Um, so I it's it's taken me a little bit with her, but now I'm kinda understanding, you know, I, what's going on here. Me too, man. I, I it, it it's took funny. Me a bit. I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought, you know, she reminds me of exactly the way Becky used to be thought of. Remember, Becky is just not going to put over anyone. Exactly. 
Let, let's and get she, that down. You know, I'm not saying she wouldn't do it if it was Roxanne Perez. But, no, and, I, you know, she's she's just not flat. Like in a world where they had Roxanne and Tiffany and others that are like flashier, it felt it felt like, oh, they're going to pick Lyra, huh? Like that's sort of how I thought about that. It initially like, hmm, so Lyra's well, the one they decided to go with. Well, and, it took me and, a bit to get with the character, what all yeah. it was and what all it's meaning. And I think we're where it's like peeling the layer of the onion here. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right. We're getting different layers yes. of her character, and I'm starting to buy into it because me too. I wasn't at the beginning. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was, I was very bullish against it, but now it, I'm starting to warm up to her. I didn't. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I wasn't sure. It, it felt to me like, oh, is this just like Becky's friend that they're going to go? They're giving this to. But then you started you, like you hit. I don't think that, that Becky is the type that would do that. This is a and the more you see from Lyra, she does well with like everything she's given. She doesn't have bad matches. She's solid on the microphone. Like she does. She checks like every box. It's almost like when you're if you're testing her. As a student on each of these like lesson plans, every time it's like, oh, that's another B plus A minus. Oh, that's another B plus A minus. She's just not as flashy as anyone else. That's how Becky was initially. Remember, yeah. of all the four horsewomen, Becky never won the NXT Women's Championship. Becky would lose over and over to Sasha, to Bailey, to Charlotte. Becky was never the one of them that was like the 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 for sure main eventer. But Becky was just solid. All the time, always there. And that's kind of how Lyra is. It's like you don't notice her until you start realizing that, wow, she's just like another solid performance, another solid performance, another solid performance. And I think that's sort of where I'm I'm coming with Lyra too, where she just continues to sort of rise. You know, the cream they say that the cream kind of rising. She even among other really strong women, she keeps kind of and a rising to the next level and rising so, to the occasion. So Zaya on Monday night attacks Becky. Is that correct? Yes. And then we see Zaya on NXT. NXT interrupting uh, her promo, uh, Valkyria's promo. Yep. So this is interesting. This is an interesting dynamic here. Yeah. That Becky I, could get involved with somehow, some way. I don't know. You're right. That's a good point. That maybe something with the three of them or some sort of a tag even or some, yeah. some something as it looks like Zaya will probably get a match coming soon with the, either Becky or Lyra or both as Tiffany Stratton came in for her match against Fallon Henley. Tiffany picks up the victory. <laughs> I love what Fallon's been doing, though, over the last couple of weeks, especially – you know, during Halloween, dressing up as Tiffany and that was she great. almost identical, and she was, it was, ta- it was really good. It was really funny, and she was talking yeah. like her. And like then I my got daddy, a, <laughs> and, and then I got a kick out of when Tiffany and uh, Kiana were backstage, and they were in the locker room. They were talking to each other, and they like they could be a tag team at some point if they wanted to. Yes. They were, she, she's like, I like you. Oh, you know what? I don't hate you that much. And they were both just—they were total mean girls, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah. those mean girls coming out again, I could actually see them like pairing them together at some point. So, get Tiffany. She was awesome. Then she won the title, and she stagnated a little bit right when she did. And we were talking about how, yeah, there've been a couple like a, a month that was not good. Boom, flip it again. Like everything since being involved with Becky, I feel like Tiffany's been awesome. 
Yeah. Again. Yeah. It's a, like a, a star. I mean, it's, uh, it was kind of weird in the beginning. We weren't buying any of it. And you talk about improvement both in and out of the ring. And, you know, she was hurt for a little while and she was able to uh, develop her character more and work on the mic. And now it's just, she's a star. She is. She can go on the main. She's one of those that could go up from NXT on right the now. Monday or Friday night and people know who she was. I, I just, I, I fully believe that. So we saw Wes check back in. He, uh, he got interrupted. Uh, man, he challenged Corbin. And so Wes back in the mix here. Braun Breaker picks up a win over Vaughn Wagner. But then after the match, Vaughn was able to put Braun away. If this is the last we see of Braun, that's probably okay. Yeah. Right? He gets yeah. the win, but then you let the baby face sort of get get his moment after. And so Braun can leave having got a win. And maybe like maybe we don't see Braun until Braun Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble, or if they have some sort of a story for him otherwise yeah. on the main roster. Right. I don't I Braun doesn't need to do anything more on NXT now. No, no, that's a wrap. I nope. agree. I think that's good. And and now all of a sudden, like Von Wagner and, and Stone, like Vaughn's become like a lovable babyface now. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could throw Vaughn in in at any moment. You could put Vaughn in against a heel at any level and it's fine. It would work now. Throw him in there for an NXT championship match. Throw him in there for a North American title match. Throw him in against a, a slimy heel and the crowd will get behind him. And the crowd likes Stone now, too. Sure, sure. So it's it's worked. For them, we uh, had Roxanne and Kalani versus Lola and Electra. Just a quick match. Roxanne and uh, Lola have a feud going here. Kind of the couple of the breakout tournament winners. I- I'm really enjoying the Ariana Santino's daughter. Yeah, she interrupts yeah. people and she's got like yeah. she calls herself the queen, right? Of or <laughs> of NXT and like she comes out. I thought she did a really good job and. That is a gimmick that could is totally a main roster gimmick. That was like the Carmella and R Truth dance breaks when they used to like do a dance break in the middle of the matches. People are gonna love when when Ariana starts interrupting now in in the yeah. middle of matches. Yeah. I think it's it's a, a cool gimmick. Oh, I, I, yeah. Hey, I forgot about the the R Truth Carmella. And, yeah. Uh, you know, congratulations to her. To them, yeah. She just had a baby. Shout out to Carmella. Yeah, oh, I remember the dance breaks. Those were good. Yeah, Those, they were funny. Would, they would they pop out during the match, a serious yes. match, and they would right just pop serious. Really yeah. Um, little promo for Joe Gacy. I mean, they covered a lot of ground on NXT again without feeling like it was too much. Just checked in with Ilya Dragunov, who put over Carmelo, and looks like Dragunov and Corbin are going to have a a feud moving forward now, which which should be good. Um, they're using Alpha Academy strong. They have Otis pick up a win here over Gulak, and they have Alpha Academy, you know, getting involved with a lot of these NXT players. And then we had the Dijak versus Tyler Bate match. What'd you think about uh Dijak picking up a win? He'll be moving forward and he'll get into that uh that iron survivor challenge qualifying match that they they created that new match last year, and it was really good when they did. Yeah, he's just so solid. They've got three or four on this roster that um, that are j- just have to be involved in something because they're too good to be it's left. Like you out. forget about them. I know. Yeah, yeah. And this is a guy that I, I, I do believe that NXT is the right place for him. 
and it's good to see him still involved and still winning. You know, he, he was was signed. He was one of those hot uh, names coming from the quote unquote indie circuit. Uh, whether you believe in ROH or Impact or whatever, though they're not indie circuits really, but. Um, he was he was one of the big free agents that WWE grabbed. And again, you know, he avoided total disaster. Retribution was at the beginning. I thought it had a chance until it just went off the rails relatively quick. And he's been able to, uh, you know, weather that storm and come back strong. And he's a guy that you can't ill afford to not have him in matches or on TV every week on NXT. He's just a pillar there for that for that brand. So, uh I thought a, another strong edition of NXT. Yeah, they yeah, got sure. good ratings again too, man. That's why they've been in like that high seven hundred thousand range, around eight hundred thousand, and now they're going to be moving to the CW. Um, and we spoke about the main event segment, which was Carmelo and Trick hey, uh, Trick Williams, and that was when Lexus King came out. So now they've got different directions they can go. Lexus King can be the guy that attacked. They can go with a Carmelo. They can go with a West. They can go with uh, anyone on the roster that they want to be a, a big heel in this spot. And I, I like when I don't know. And I like when there's a lot of possibilities. I thought that was a really good addition of NXT. Let's finish up Koopa Loop with some AEW Dynamite. We had a show that was a lot about MJF. And we had a show coming from Portland. So MJF opens up. And they've done a good job recently So right off the bat, let me give them some credit What did we miss, or recapping things That may have happened on Collision Or last week, what are some of the Major storylines, what are some things To look for on this show I, For me, Chad, I always want Raw AW, Smackdown I love knowing what's gonna come Do they have matches planned Are there anything storyline segments I like knowing all of those things Beforehand, it just makes me feel A little bit more Interested and invested in what's going to happen And I, on both shows I always appreciate getting set up right away Yeah, it, it felt better um, As I mentioned earlier I, I wasn't a fan of MJF getting pinned last week Not at all uh, I, I, It didn't But, you know, this match He, he answered the challenge um, That I think was on Even though I didn't watch it uh, It was on Rampage from Daniel Garcia Um you know, I probably nitpicking. I probably would have went a little bit longer here with this, since you're opening the the show with your world champion. Um, you know, what's interesting here Dan, with we know MJF and what direction they're going with now because we see later in the show what happens. Um, but Daniel Garcia was a the guy they were everyone was really high on, and he came in, did some things. He's relatively cool. I, I don't know what 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 do we do with Daniel Garcia and here because he's a guy that probably needs to be done something with. I know, and you how know? many people have it felt like this exactly like him? Yeah. Honestly, where yeah. it's like, here comes Daniel, and and he was younger and up and coming, and he had this like fantastic year where he was doing all this great stuff on the indies and everything. And it's funny because the the gripe with Garcia for a while was that he's just a wrestler and he has no character. And now he's leaned into more of the character And it's funny, like, it should have helped Get him into a higher spot A more consistent spot But it's all the start and stop stuff That it's always frustrated me with AEW Because you bring in 
like on this show and what we've seen the last couple of years, how many of these guys where it's like, okay, remember what happened with Nick Wayne a few weeks ago or like, like AR Fox, they brought those guys for a little bit. We did the same thing with guys like, um, you know, like, uh, Commander and some of these yeah, in, yeah. indie wrestlers that were like the, the biggest thing ever. I think Sammy Guevara is hurt right now, so maybe that's why he's not around. But I mean, from Wardlow to Keith Lee to Cesaro to all these guys that came in and it felt like, oh, cool, they're gonna get behind them. There's very few that they actually have, and again, it, it it reminds me like every time I think of Daniel Garcia, it's like. He was in stuff with Brian Danielson. He was in stuff with Jericho. After that, you're you're supposed to go with the momentum that you've had. You you just had this guy in the ring with some of your big stars, and then all of a sudden, he's on he's not on Dynamite for a month. Right. Yeah, they got to avoid that here. They really yeah. do. If you have, you can't you can't just keep turning on and off and expect us. That's that's why. Seriously, that's one of the big reasons why they haven't been able to grow the audience. None. The audience, you know, churns and earns and yearns for that stuff. Consistency. You got it. You're better off picking 20, 25 people and and saying, okay, this is my team for the next six months. It doesn't have to always be that way. People get hurt. People can go up and down. But like here, I know there's no official seasons in wrestling, but you're better off taking a, sh- a smaller pool of talent and showing us them more and letting us know more about them than trying to have a pool of like, oh, we've got a 200, 200 talent on our roster. But you rarely see any of them, and we don't know like a lot of their motivations. I, I, will, I like that we're seeing the Young Bucks talk the last couple weeks now. Yeah, yeah. All, all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, They've talked more in a few weeks and they're telling us things that they care about way more than we've ever heard from them before. I I think you're better off that way. And I didn't really have much of a problem with this. It was a 10 minute match. MJF gets the win. Just like you said, maybe they even go a little longer because they let guys off the street, go 15 minutes with their world champions, 15, 20 minutes. And you actually had built up Garcia. Like he was a legitimate contender for a while. And, um, and now he's sort of, Kind of lost in the shuffle here, so not this sure big, what. Uh, remember, remember this moment with Daniel Garcia. This, this, yeah, this here and see where how they go with this guy because he was the one that was going to be, uh, and everyone was raving about the kid. So this is going to be a moment uh, in his earlier part of his AEW career, and if they're not able to build off this, then he may be in trouble there. Sting and Darby. Face to the outrunners These guys were some of the best looking Jobbers I've ever yeah. seen They had like the neon stuff on People were calling them the Beverly Brothers No the Beverly Brothers Right they sort of had They had a Beverly Brothers look but they kind of Looked like the new Rockers you remember this one Oh with, yeah With Marty Janetti and Al Snow I think oh, his name God. was Garrett at the time. They, I think, that's what, Garrett. I think <laughs> that's what they were going with for his his gimmick oh, name. That anytime they throw something, instead, like New Day was different because there was no the day. They weren't the New Day, right? right? It was like the New Day was their name. Anytime you put new in front of something, it's got no shot. 
no. the new blackjacks, you know, like the new, <laughs> it, it just is never going to work. It's doomed from the beginning, but damn, these guys were some of the best looking jobbers I've, I've ever seen. Uh, they were fantastic. This thing went two minutes. Sting and Darby get the win here. I think uh, somebody said the reason why I did because Sting's got a match on collision this weekend and they didn't want to like burn him out. Yeah. Like, oh man. So they're just going to try to get Sting on our TV as much as possible in the next six months till he's, uh, till he's done. That's right. Yeah, Saturday they have a six man with Darby, Sting, and Copeland versus Archer and the Righteous. That's yeah. They on collision. Okay. Yeah, and that should be okay. And then I think that's going to lead to the full gear. See, the problem that they're ha- they they're having right now again is they started booking a right now. They've got a full gear show that's their pay per view coming up in L.A. That should be what they're building towards. But they keep throwing matches like they build matches onto TV and Rampage and and it gets really confusing a lot of the times yeah. where it's like so wait there's a singles match there's a tag match and then there's a six man tag that's that's and I don't know why they get a kick out of Excalibur having to do the whole like announce fifty things at once <laughs> us as fans would we get confused it, it just yeah. we just get a little confused. Tony Storm is going with the uh, she's rolling with her gimmick. I like I think it's funny. I think it's good. It's given Tony something different. Their women's division has been so kind of boring and bland for a long time, too. So just having a spark like this now, they've got to expand this a little bit. Her character, you know, she can't just say the same two or three things over and over. But right now, for a division that was not really interesting. Tony Storm feels like the most interesting thing, and I feel like she's got to win this right now. 100%, without a doubt. And if she doesn't, that's a wrap on her in AEW. I, Completely I, agree. I, I'm just putting it out there. This, it, because I, it's, that, it's not going to work. You want, in wrestling, you, you hope that you can find things for people's characters that get as over as Tony Storm is right now. This is yeah. the whole... Like, if you're a booker... You are probably looking around like, gosh, can can these amazing storylines just or these these characters just drop in front of me and someone just get hot. And when they do, I get mad as a fan when the bookers don't want to just run with it because they how many times it must be tough in your life where you're trying to force something and, and the crowd's not into it. If the crowd's ever into something like go with it. I don't understand go. why you have it has to be that difficult. Why? I mean, either. No, I, I don't. I've never understood why it has to be that difficult. Me neither. Why and, and draw this, it out and just wait for an injury or wait for someone to cool off is beyond me. And why? Because I, I thought about this in all aspects of life because I've experienced it myself. You've experienced it yourself. Chad Cooper can't help it if he gets over on the Delta <laughs> Downs track feed on the broadcast. He can't help it if he is popular. He can't help it if people are turning in yeah. to the races because Chad is talking about him on TVG Boy. and promoting him and doing a the really good job. But, but about disgruntled. I was gonna, about bad booking. You instead of <laughs> elevating someone who's getting over on their own and and realizing like, wow, we've got a guy or we've got someone who we kind of caught lightning in a bottle. Let's go with it. Yeah, and Vince had done this for a long time too, and then it was funny because Vince would get sort of stubborn until he'd get to a point where he would just be like, 
ah, screw it. I'm just going to make too much money. And, and then he would go the opposite way. He yeah. would bring in people that he hated, people that he had problems with, people that we thought would never show back up in WWE. But he always was willing to do it for money. He was. Always. From Bruno to Warrior to CM Punk to people he didn't like, he was always willing to do that for money. And I, I think we we did this with Britt at the beginning when they waited a while with Britt Baker, yeah. Yeah. you know? And now this, if th- this has got to be Tony Storm, this isn't a situation either where you like the crowd wants to see her keep losing. The crowd likes this gimmick. Put the put the belt on her with this gimmick, and then you get more of her and this gimmick for the next six months. Like that's, I think that's just the way you do it. Like, and shout out to Tony because she's done a really good job with this so far. Excellent match between Swerve Strickland and Penta. I will give. AEW a lot of crap and WWE a lot of crap. They've done a good job with Swerve recently. The win over Hangman was big for him, just feeling like he needed it. I I don't know why they had to put him in that match with Brian Danielson after and then lose, but he feels like an important scary character. He gets a win and then after the match, he's trying to take off the mask and all of a sudden Hangman Page comes out and he looks badass and he looks like he's got a little bit of a purpose too. So I, it's about I, time, right? It's about time, hundred percent. Right? Like we took we took a weird, we took a weird. Detour. I don't know if you use ways or you use <laughs> ways. I know, yeah. I know you're. Look, I'm not trying to out you here, okay? But I know you're not an iPhone guy. I no. know that because your green texts that I get they show I'm, up I'm an and they screw guy. with everybody's chat messages. Yes, I know. and it's do. like who is the guy? Oh it's, it's, oh, it's the it's the droid guy. Freaking Gino. So I don't I don't know if you use Waze. I don't know if your fancy Rolls Royce over there in your gated community or your driver uses uh, GPS that's built in, or you use whatever MapQuest or Google Maps or whatever. But we certainly took an odd way to get here. But wasn't it refreshing? To see Strickland have probably the match of the night and yep. finally a good win. Again, I don't know why he was uh, put in the ring with uh, Brian Danielson. I have no idea. And then lose because it, it didn't mean a hill of beans for him. And then it finally Hangman Page come out. It just felt this is how you're supposed to do it. I don't know why it's that difficult. I have no, no. idea. But it finally felt good. And this was probably the match of the night and the segment of the night for me. I agree. And I think both of these guys now feel important. They feel like they're a top of the card match. And I'm looking forward to Paige and uh, Swerve when we see them at, at full gear, I'm assuming, in a couple weeks. Yeah. We then had uh, Kenny Omega and Jericho backstage. They were interviewed by Renee. And they were talking about the video game. And they did a really... A, a smart thing here. Um, they mentioned Coda and uh, Paul White. So they're they're building a couple different things up here. Uh, you and I haven't talked about it. They actually had the big show get yeah. involved recently yeah. after Jericho got squashed in a match against Powerhouse Hobbs. So uh, here's positives and negatives. This particular segment, I loved. I think it just felt like real. Like Kenny and was talking to a couple of his friends. See, like, you guys are the best tag team, but I think I can beat. Of course, I think we can beat you. Of course, I think I can beat you with me and Jericho can beat you one time. The Bucks are laughing. You guys are jokes. Jericho is older. We are literally the best tag team ever together. And I, everything about this felt real to me. But 
What I don't like is that I start recapping it and we've got to talk about Kota Ibushi, Paul White. We've got to talk about two or three other things going on. Like this actually, if this could have been a focus and, and we can just focus on this for a couple of weeks, I think this is good. And this feels real. Um, it just always seems like we're trying to do a little bit too much. And Big Show has not looked good when he's been out there. I, no, I Physically. No. That's, I don't know if he... I don't know the behind the scenes with this. I don't know if this is something he wanted to do and he wanted to get one last chance to go out there. I don't know if this is something they're pushing him into. I don't know physically what he's been doing recently, but he like the last couple times we saw him in WWE, he was physically fine. Yeah. He could get in and out of the ring fine. He could wrestle a match fine. He looked like he was struggling when we've seen him walking around. I agree. No, I agree. It's uh you know, uh, I've always been uh, a sucker for for big gimmicks, and I'm talking big as in big. I've always liked the tall gimmicks, the Giants. I was a massive Andre the Giant fan. Um, El Gigante, there's just so many of them. And for whatever reasons, some of these guys, um, it, it's just you wonder what happens when – there, whether it's WWE says, look, we can't have you working because you can't do a physical or do this and that. You see a lot of heart go out, even though you're still in the industry, there, your heart and soul goes out of a lot of things. And yep. uh, it's just interesting how how we end up here. But look, I've always been a Paul White fan. Me I, too. I, I think he's one of the most underrated guys on, or an underutilized yeah. guys in the history of wrestling, he should I mean, have at guy, least had one or guy, two runs where he was like unbeatable as a champ, and he never really had that in WWE at all. He was no, he was taking a beating from Floyd Mayweather at WrestleMania, right? Dude, because they came in. I think the first thing right when he came in was it the Saint Valentine's Day massacre? Massacre, ma- yeah. Where he came yeah. in and he right off the bat, like he pulled the ring down or the cage down off the thing with Austin, but he was sort of yeah. made. The problem they had with with and it was at the time when he came over from WCW and Vince had a really hard time with putting the WCW guys over. And yeah, I think that yeah, really good screwed, that kind of screwed him for a long period of his career because we always felt he never felt like he was going to win a big match or beat someone. And they kept going babyface heel, babyface heel, babyface heel. Nobody ever knew what to do with him and man I I think he's always going to go down as a guy who who didn't have that one or two runs like he really should have. He should have had one or two where he was yeah. just unbeatable, badass dude. And Now, let me ask you this. Do you like Big Show slash Paul White with the bald hair or the mess of a hair when he had long hair? Which, which oh, was, was your favorite Paul White? Man, I like the mess. The mess yeah, I early. like the mess of the hair, me too. too. Me, too. Yeah. I like the young. I, I have the giant when he would smoke cigarettes coming yeah. to the ring in WCW. Yeah. He was, <laughs> that guy's smoking on the field. As the placement. Oh, yeah. So uh, yes. we, we finish up as we get through Kenny and Chris Jericho setting up their match for, for uh, the Young Bucks. I did like how the Young Bucks said, what is it, Golden Jets? Sounds like something you came up with, Jericho. I, the Bucks can talk a little. I I liked I liked that they actually did here. Now this next thing makes absolutely no sense to me. I know where I, we're going. I've been waiting. Here we go. 
I've been waiting. Ojo versus Keith Lee for the and or the Ring of Honor TV Championship. Number okay, one. First, first, let's go ahead. What'd you think about the match? What'd you think about the match? Okay. Match, 12 minutes, decent spots here and there, like a couple impressive spots. But unfortunately, Keith Lee isn't in the type of shape no. that we no. had all wanted. I thought Joe looked fine. Sure. And Joe's been in in and like having a really good run right now. Keith Lee. I'm wondering how many times, like, how many 10-minute TV matches has he even had recently? None that I can recall. Maybe a tag match that went over that saw Swerve doing most of the work. And I'm not trying to be ugly. No, me neither. So, Keith didn't look like he was at his best. I can't help but think how everybody crapped all over WWE when they couldn't figure out what to do with Keith Lee. How can they not figure something out? Hell, you and I were also saying those things. How oh, can they we not figure out more to do with this guy? I can't believe it. And now maybe we're seeing some things why, and some of it may not even be Keith's fault, right? We, sure. He had issues with COVID. He had some heart stuff. There may be physical things now that he can't do that he, he could have done five and six years ago. Oh, that, that all may be true. But so my first gripe is, ah, Keith didn't look as good. They haven't done a very good job with Keith Lee since he's come to AEW at all. That That's my first issue. My second issue, why the hell do you have a match where the guy beats somebody and then just drops the title down and says he doesn't want it anymore? It makes no sense. None. None. What I don't it, look, you know, I don't want to hear the people. Well, it makes sense because there, it, there's, he, there's none. No, wait a there's minute. None. What MJF just had the he just had the ROH tag title, right? He still does. He, he still, still has right? them. He's literally still your world champion. The guy Samoa Joe is going after is a double champion. He you actually know, has a Ring of Honor <laughs> title and an AEW title, and. Like, this does so many things wrong. So bad. Because now, also, what it does is, you just, I'm sorry, you just shit on Keith Lee. (laughs) First of all. Right? You just, that guy's done. He got buried. Yeah, he's He's buried. He won't come back. You lost. And don't put put that title on Keith Lee because we will laugh and boo at you. He just lost in a match, and then after the match, the guy said he didn't even care about the match that he just won and the title that he just won, first of all. Sure. So, why not have it's brutal? Don't even have the match at all. Don't have the match. Say it that, makes no sense. Just drop it and then come make up with a some kind of faux pas tournament. Where, dude, make a little storyline where you say Samoa Joe got the Samoa Joe did something backstage and he got the Ring of Honor title taken away from him. Boom. That's it. Sure, and then spending, do something. He goes, We nuts. removed the title yeah. from him. He's He's so focused on MJF right now. He's not following rules. He's not doing what you need to be doing in like in our locker room. We remove that title from him and we're going to show him that he needs to behave better. Anything, any story, like you book this stuff, you make it however you want. You don't have to have a match and then after the match you have you just shit on the guy who lost the match. Okay. I I couldn't think of a, a worse person to do this to than Keith. Me neither. Me neither. None. But you really buried this guy. You None. really buried him. You did him and, good. I mean, you did and him then, good. And then you have just made everyone think 
that Ring of Honor is not even close to the league of AEW. And so why would you do that? That's your own company. And the guy has head, headlined a pay-per-view, an AEW pay-per-view. Already? Ball, right? With that title, why would you make it seem like he didn't even care about... This was your longest reigning Ring of Honor TV champion, and he just made it seem like he didn't care about that at all. You cr- You just crapped all over Keith Lee. You just screwed over that championship and a lot of your company that you purchased I think this was a horrible horrible decision from Tony Khan and I mean honestly I think it was one of the stupidest things and one of the worst things I can remember AEW doing I, I I wish I could say well it looks really strong for Joe to throw the title away because that's basically what he did you threw the title away I mean there could have been so much other ways why he, it doesn't make him look any stronger. Let me tell you what's really going to be bad is if MJF goes over him and then you've buried Samoa Joe. I know. I, so I, unless Samoa Joe wins this thing, okay, I you, you got me 10 to 20% of this, but I'm still, uh, you, you buried a title and buried a, a someone on your roster that definitely didn't need to be buried on your way to this. But Joe is Have the world champion. Okay. But this Keith is bad. Lee beat him and win the title because MJF cheated and distracted Pretty. Joe. There's some just yeah. any there's a million different things you could have done. If you don't have want a Joe to be, lose, have somebody be a number have somebody be the number one contender and let it Keith Wee win uh, Lee wins it. I, there's just so much more ways you could have done this, and this was the absolute worst, worst decision coming we out just, of this. We just talked about five different things you could have done. Any one of them would have been better. This was not good. The guns pick up a win. They've been uh, hanging out in the tanning room, no doubt about it. Austin <laughs> and Colton, they were nice in, uh, in orange there. And uh, <laughs> they beat the Bollywood boys quickly, and then they cut a promo afterwards. And uh, they get to face MJF for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Titles. So it, MJF's going to have to defend the titles, the tag titles alone, early, and then later in the night he's going to have to wrestle that match against Jay White. So at least it kind of makes sense because he's he is feuding with all of them together. Um, just quick little promos to set up Orange Cassidy and uh, John Moxley. So that's the direction that we're going to be going for those two. Uh, you know, I've been negative about a lot of things. I thought the women, Heart and Velvet, both of these ladies are way improved from where they were a year ago. So I will give them a lot of credit for that because if these two would have had a match a year ago, I think it would have been awful. And and this time, it was fine on Dynamite, and they're both much improved. And Julia Hart, I kind of like what she's doing with the gimmick. She's kind of got something there. Is she only mm-hmm. like 21 years old? Yeah, I think that was her twenty second birthday. Yeah, the only thing I, I I don't have a problem with with the match or whatever. Is she a heel? Is she not a heel? You know, and then you know Mariah May. They're 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 pushing. So I I, I was okay with it. I was and okay then with it. Mariah May uh, yeah. comes out and she felt like a big deal and sure. you know she is sort of doing the Trish Stratus um, Mickey James thing with Tony Storm, right? She's like a fan of Tony. We might get a little something yeah. there. So um, Jay White had a match against Mark Briscoe. 
I thought it, the match was good. I thought it was good. First off, Excalibur said that these two guys were undefeated this year. That's not true. I told oh, you. Brother. I went to the Ring of Honor show. <laughs> I told you on WrestleMania weekend where I was like, why the hell did Mark Briscoe just lose clean to Samoa Joe? Yeah. Samoa Joe yeah. beat him clean earlier this year, 100%. Maybe he was trying to say that they were undefeated in AEW, but Mark Briscoe so. lost. You gotta say that, though. Yeah, Mark Briscoe lost this year, and the problem is, like, Ring of Honor and AEW cross over so much that Mark Briscoe lost to an AEW wrestler, Samoa Joe, it, earlier this year, but, but the crowd likes Briscoe, and... And even though this was a really predictable match, they were, they've already like had Jay White built up for MJF. I thought they did they did a pretty good job here in 14 minutes. And like you know what, this could have been a match that people didn't care at all about because they knew what was going to happen. But Jay White's solid in the ring, and Mark Briscoe's solid in the ring. Those guys are two pros, and they had a good, a, a pretty good TV main event here. Yeah, I thought the false finishes really, really brought it home too. Uh, yep. Literally, I, I thought that that made it, um, uh, you know, so Jay White does not win this title from MJF. It's definitely MJF versus Samoa Joe, right? Yeah. Okay. And I think I, I, I assume that too is maybe Samoa Joe, the devil, uh, maybe Adam or, Cole, I, right? I, you Some, know, something because Adam Cole would be I, Adam Cole and the and the Roderick and the, those guys would be perfect. If it was Adam yeah, Cole, yeah, it's along. definitely not CM Punk, right? No, he's it's more, not Punk. More, no, we're we're more on Punk with signing with WWE than yeah. returning with AEW, right? Yeah, completely. Okay, and that's what we had after the uh, the acclaimed and Billy Gunn were attacked. The only problem I have is like MJF runs backstage and he's like <laughs> about to cry. It's like, no, give me, get out of here. You don't care that much. You don't care that much that Max just got beat up. But they did through the, uh, they threw him through the window. Shout out Marty Janetti and Shawn Michaels. We got a, <laughs> we got a barbershop window uh, uh, throwing through the glass right here. And I, I wonder when they threw him through the glass, was, uh, did they check with CM Punk to make sure it was fake? <laughs> <laughs> did they call and ask? Did Jack Perry? Oh, did Jack Perry didn't order the glass for them, right? The Jungle Boy, no oh, Jungle boy. boy ordering that glass. So, uh, what's up with what's up with Jungle Boy? Is he hurt? I think they like he was like in trouble. They that I think suspended. They, yeah, that's right. right. They punished that's him right. right for what everything that he did. So, that's right. Um, last week was a very bad episode of AEW. This week was a better a better episode where it was better. They, yeah, I agree. They, they and you know, like. You're 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 always gonna be. I'm always gonna respond better to a show that has a little less five star wrestling matches and a little more story build up on your week to week shows. I think that's what they're supposed to be. I think they're supposed to help build a lot of stuff, and then you have those big blow off matches. I, I just think that's sort of the way you and I grew up on wrestling. More, Chad. That's kind of the, the way that yeah, I like I it. Right, territories to where it's like build, build, build to a big match, a big show versus. Well, I didn't even love the fact that they threw Kenny and Sam, or that they threw Sammy and Seth. I thought they could have built that up for at least a week, right? They could have said next week we're gonna have Seth Rollins versus Sammy Zayn one on one, and that might have been able to pop a number. So I don't even love when they did that on Raw because I thought like I think when you have a match and you can build it a little bit, build it, and um, we'll see if AEW can continue that trend. 
Coop, man, I missed you, buddy. It was uh, I know our schedules yeah, were, were tough for the last few weeks, but thanks for being flexible again and catching up on everything. Do you have any uh, any games that you're playing this weekend before we let you go? Yeah, yeah, I got a couple of uh, NCAA college football plays here, uh, just a handful of them. Uh, Nebraska-Maryland this weekend, it's not very flashy, but I think Nebraska's playing better football. I'll take the the two-and-a-half to three points uh, there with the Cornhuskers. You know, Pitt and Syracuse, again, two more teams, not very flashy. This game, I think, is going to be played at Yankee Stadium. Um, Pitt, 13-5 and five against the spread in this series. I'm going to take Pitt here. Um, Ohio State, this is a big number they're laying, really, really big against Michigan State, who's just in a tailspin. Um, Ohio State laying 31 and a half. I'm going to take that. I think Ohio State needs a big victory here. Michigan State lost earlier in the season a couple of weeks ago by 49 to Michigan. I think Ohio State runs it up on them here. So I'm going to take Nebraska plus two and a half. I'm going to take Pitt. I'm going to take Ohio State minus 31 and a half, Gino. We will be following you at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you so much, my friend. Good luck in all your plays, and let's hope we have uh, another good week of pro wrestling to discuss as we are on the road to Survivor Series. So now what I got to do, I got to throw on all the old Survivor Series. So today, right as soon as we oh, finish yeah. up, yeah. I'll, I'm going to start, I think, 1987. <clears throat> Was the, first the earlier one. the better <laughs> I think that's the first Because 87 I think is the one where they were trying to build up Bam Bam Bigelow He was on that baby oh face team with gosh. Hogan And Bam Bam was the final survivor Or it's Bam Bam against the team of Andre guys Bam Bam's doing like little jump twirls and stuff And then poor Andre comes in and then, uh, and lays him out So I'm going to go back and start watching Survivor oh, yeah. Series Yeah, yeah. I yeah. look forward to it yeah. And uh, we'll talk next week my man Thanks so much All right, Gino, have a good weekend. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. That's going to do it for this episode and uh, feels feels back at home having the the normal schedule where we get you some football. We get you some weekend racing. We get you Barry to help us out with some of those races. And then this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, that'll be the format for the, the next few weeks moving forward as we get into the holidays Gosh, it's coming up on Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And we'll be here with you each and every week, like always. Still covering Woodbine all the way through the end of their meet. So we'll have some Woodbine, lots of Del Mar. Then in the next month and a half, it'll flip over to kind of more Gulfstream and Santa Anita when they come back day after Christmas. So we'll always have tons of content here for you, always free. And we'll always be uh, bringing in some of the best guests to help us get prepared for everything. Hope you all have a great weekend. Good luck.